Mutants. Since the discovery of their existence, they have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain, or simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? Either way, it is an historical fact. Sharing the world has never been humanity's defining attribute. Welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and I'm here with two special guests today. Uh, Tim, of course, is uh, still in the process of moving from Texas to Las Vegas, and apparently they're using snails to carry all their stuff. So uh, as our guest here, we've got uh, returning guest John Hyatt. Say hi, John. Hey. Yeah, it's good to have John back and to establish, you know, continued continuity. And then we've got a special guest here, Kurt Greenfield, uh, one of our listeners from way back. He uh, has been writing in to Third Degree Burn since we first got started back in 2015. Hey, John, how I said John, didn't I? You did. <laughs> hey, I'm great, Brian. No, I'm not, I'm not going to cut that out. I'm just going to go ahead and move on. Hey, Kirk, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm fine. Good afternoon. Good, is it after? Yeah, it is after. Well, it's not for um, not for John. I guess it's. You're, what, an hour away from noon, aren't you? Uh, two. Two, yeah. He's out on the West Coast, so he's... Uh, ah, I'm on the East Coast, so to speak, at least East Time Zone, so we're all all represented here. Thousands right. of miles apart, and yet still we're able to get along, get together. Excellent. So, uh, Kirk, do you want to give us just a, a little uh, history on yourself, and, and you know, especially within comic books, but um, tell us about yourself. All right. Um, well, I'm probably the old man in the room, to tell you the truth. Having just turned 64, um, I'm a TV weatherman by day, and, or by evening, I should say, at a very small TV station in West Virginia. So uh, I have been reading comics since I was probably about 10. Uh, started buying with FF55, the thing in the Silver Surfer fight. Wow. But I had picked up some used comics at a school white carnival sale just a couple of months earlier. And so I picked up uh, a smattering of Silver Age, um, and I could re- I know exactly what was in that collection. I could recite it. But the interesting thing is some of them were the um, Submariner issues in Tales to Astonish. And I didn't have any consecutive issues, but I probably had every other issue for his first several appearances. So I had an appreciation for Stan Lee's drama and Jack Kirby's artwork and Gene Colan's uh, soap opera style. And so when I started doing a comic podcast, I looked around and realized nobody's doing the Submariner, or at least I couldn't find any. So I talked my daughter into starting a podcast about two years ago that we called Imperious Rex, Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader. And that should give you an idea that it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and a little bit serious. 
Uh, it's a father-daughter podcast, much like uh, Professor Allen and his daughter did, um, but a little bit more light-hearted. So I took the serious road that you know these these Submariner stories were very serious and very uh, dramatic and should be respected. And my daughter was poking holes in it and just lambasting it and criticizing the artwork and laughing at the inconsistencies. So we did about 18 episodes of it before she had to move across country to New Jersey. And so I kind of tied up the series. They changed artists, creative teams on the strip. And so that's where we kind of let it go. But in the meantime, I've been a fan of Two True Freaks and the Fantastic Cast and uh, the Bwahahaha uh, podcast that uh, Shag Matthews does. And uh, I've been listening to to uh, your podcast as well. So it, it seems to be a community that we all guest our visit each other. And so I enjoy, as I do my commute each night, listening to a different podcast on the way home. And that's about 40 minutes. So I can usually hear about a 45-minute podcast um, just about a, a whole episode, um, or over the course of two nights, uh, maybe a two-hour podcast. But it's an enjoyable way to pass the miles and uh, and relive some of my youth. So that's a little background on me. What have I forgotten to share with you? I think you've you've done a pretty pretty good job there. I mean, I, I recall you know, and we talked about this before, but I recall you writing into us very early on. Uh, you're one of the first uh, people to uh, write into us. And, oh, I should tell you how I found John Byrne. Yeah. Um, I was in college and had sworn off comics someplace <laughs> in high school and just for a moment went to the newsstand and was flipping through, had a half hour to kill or something. So I was flipping through the books that were on the, the shelf. This is before the uh, the comic book shops, the rise of the comic book shops. It was probably about 1975, 76, right in there. Anyways, I was flipping through the books and... Oh, what are they doing in the X-Men? Oh, okay, they've got a new X-Men team. Uh-huh, okay. I don't care a lot for uh, the, the artist who was on the strip. And one month or between classes, oh, here's one that's kind of interesting. Boy, the, the faces look so realistic. They look so human. This is really interesting. They're in a carnival? Oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is, <laughs> oh, man, I, you know, this is like the first or the second issue that John Byrne drew of the X-Men. And I just kind of... Wow, this is really good. And like a fool, I put it back on the shelf and didn't buy it oh, and then no. went away to classes. And I was out of comics for about two years, two and a half years, um, finished up my college degree, went to work for a TV station in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and then was waiting at the bus stop, turned around, and there was a spinner rack in the, uh, the convenience store behind me. And there was something that said, in this issue, everybody dies. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> Oh, so man. I turned around, went in there, and I looked at the thing, and I bought it. And I also bought the X-Men, uh, I think it was their fourth annual or something, Nightcrawler's Inferno. Anyways, yep. that one was yep. not as good because the artwork wasn't as good. But, boy, I was there for Days of Future Past on the edge of my seat, and that sucked me back into comics. So since I was out of school and living alone... Um, you know, I, I picked up the FF, the Avengers, Captain America, since I think John Byrne was drawing uh, a couple of issues there, and Daredevil. Anyways, that that was the tip of the iceberg, and that kind of drew me back in. And lo and behold, there were comic book shops that had sprung up. So that was my. That's when I really got into it. So I had to work backwards to get all the Uncanny X Men issues between 
well, 94 and, and where we were there at one, we were about 142, 143 at that point. So that was an expensive jaunt to try to find them, but <laughs> I got them all. Yeah, but I've met him once or twice. No, no, they're way too expensive. I met John once or twice at the Mid-Ohio Con uh, that he used to do up in Mansfield, Ohio. Um, and I got him to sign my Marvel Masterworks uh, trade collection uh, of the Dark Phoenix Saga, that that particular volume. It's the only volume that I've had and the only thing I've had him sign. So that means a great deal to me. We had a couple moments conversation. Um, I don't think he was in terribly good mood that day, but I got it, and it's a treasured you know, part of my collection. Nice. That's a great story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, hey, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, when he picked up that part two of Days of Future Past, um, he must have been very, very grateful, Kirk, for that recap page or two. Oh, I don't recall it off the top of my head, but his artwork and his storytelling abilities were just... I give him the credit for the storytelling abilities, not Claremont, although it was a synthesis. I, I really think, you know, Days of Future Past, I think, was his baby. Well, least. I mean, just so that, that here you picked up part two of a story, uh, you were, because, uh, right? Isn't when everyone dies, wasn't that the second part of the story? And you're that like. That was the first one. I believe it was the first one, the cover with Wolverine on, on the cover, well, standing in front of the wanted poster. Okay, yeah, that's oh. yeah, that's before everybody dies. Everybody dies was the next, the next one. That's where they got okay. Wolverine getting scragged on the cover. Yeah, and that's yeah. And so I got both of them, okay. and then immediately the creative team changed. I went, "What? I just subscribed through Marvel." Oh, so, <laughs> oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Can you imagine what it's like? I mean, you actually had it happen to you, but let's say you subscribe to the Hulk or Captain mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. You know those books. You know, right when Burns on there, and all of a sudden he's off. And uh, just the frustration, but you know, of course, as the years have gone on, we've you know we've found the reasons why he's moved in each case, and I can understand them. It's still frustrating, but yeah. how? I mean, it, you have taken you know basically just gone and read through uh, Elswim within just the past few days. Am I right? Just last night, in preparation for this, I've skimmed them. But I'll probably go back, and when I have a free moment at work during my lunch hour, I may go back and read every word. Typically, I'll read a comic book twice. Once, I'll skim through it real quick when it first arrives, and then I'll sit in the middle of of the night when everything's still, and I'll read it from cover to cover and go through every word and literally devour it and commit it to memory. So. At least that's how I approached it when I was collecting. Since they have made Scott Summers a villain, yeah. uh, you know, I have really stepped away from Marvel. I'm not buying any comics right now. But boy, if if Byrne would partner with Marvel to publish these X-Men Elsewhere issues, I'd be right there. I would be right there. I understand there are reasons why it can't happen or won't happen, but boy, I'd like to try to convince him otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you, and, and, and I think it's simply, and, and based on what he has said, that it's simply the editorial hand would be too strong on him to make things different than what he's doing. You know, don't use this character, do use that character. 
you know, oh no, you can't have them do this or whatever. And he just, what he's doing right now is he is letting the pencil do the work for him. It's it's drawing what is just coming out of it is just what he wants to do. It's his muse. And for a creator, there's nothing more satisfying than letting your muse just run away with you. And I, I think that's why he's been doing this and why he's enjoying it so much and why we're enjoying it so much. Um, I, it's, I would, never would have expected this to have happened. And it is so good. It is, you know, it just picks up right at that point where he left off, so to speak. And he dovetails it so nicely with existing continuity where he chooses to. I'm I'm all in. Boy, this is just amazing, guys. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, th- I would think... Marvel would be foolish not to publish this and give him whatever he wants. They would be foolish not to service their older fan base, and they'd be foolish to try to to meddle in it. If he's already drawn 10 issues, let's say, and they're already in the can, the creative effort is already there. All I have to do is just license the art and print them serially. And, you know, what could be easier? They've already done alternative storylines and alternative worlds and you know yeah, Chris Claremont already had his. and done everything they need yeah. to to try to get themselves on a different track yeah so yeah. it's not like it's burning any bridges or that it's going to destroy a fan base that they've they've got they're already cultivating this so he's got one that is is beautiful and rich and already realized so it's like why not pay him what he's worth guys let's get back on track maybe you can build the industry back all right, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> but I think that the biggest problem there is just there's too many people involved in the high end of companies like Marvel and DC that have, you know, not been very, you know, very good to burn. I mean, you know, the reasons why he walked away from both companies is because someone there had uh, done things to truly upset him. When they cancel X-Men Hidden Years... Yep. You know, a successful book, it's like, what what the heck? What are you doing? You know, because basically they made it clear it wasn't, they weren't working for the business. They were working for just what they wanted, you know. And yep. that that, uh, you know, that soured them in a big way. And, and, and DC had already done that to them as well. Um, now, before we uh, get to the book, though, uh, just you guys want to give just a little bit what's going on in your world. Uh, you know, John and, and I have talked a little bit about, about things in our end. Of course, I'm working from home. I haven't really had to go out into the world, except I, I did go out yesterday to mail a package. So I had to go to the post office. So, you know, I'm basically in my hazmat suit and uh, got my, my package in a hermetically sealed package. Uh, but as I was going out there yesterday... I was stunned at just how many people are outside in the world going to stores and such. And I drove by a church that was packed with car- the cars in the parking lot. And I was just stunned and amazed at, at just how many people were taking chances right now. Yeah. Stay the course, guys. Stay inside. Yes, uh, absolutely. This will probably come out within the next week or so, but we've been in uh, quarantine for about four weeks the models are clear. I know it's difficult, but you know, if if we let this one get away from us, we're going to lose all the progress that we've made. Um, you know, 
be cautious. You can go outside. You just have to maintain your distance from everybody and keep mindful of a wash your hands and stay away from folks. Uh, you know, I commute to work alone in my car, 40 miles each way every day to and back. Uh, so I've, I've been doing that for the last 24 years. So I'm already in a bubble, so to speak. And then it's easy for me to forget, oh, yeah, it's a quarantine. I have to be careful not to get too close to my coworkers and so on. They're very concerned, very aware of it. For me, um, you know, I won't say it's business as usual, but it's been a very strange month. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate enough to still be able to work, and I work from home. But when I do have to go out, yeah, it's putting on a face covering, uh, being very careful, uh, maintaining distance when I have to talk to people as much as possible, which is pretty much very easy to maintain. So, um, yeah, absolutely stay the course. Um, it will it will help. It does. Yeah, my, my wife has uh, gotten a bunch of uh, baby wipes and treated them with alcohol. And uh, one of the things that, that, that is going on here that's really cool is the local comic book shops uh, collected. There's a, a chain of them around here. Uh, and uh, they're they're teaming up with other comic book shops, Titans Books, Duncanville Books, uh, Next Gen Comics. And they're having these uh, daily or every other day, uh, and you can see them on Facebook, they're having these kind of, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to call them auctions, but... Um, They'll they'll sit there and like in this case Ron Killingsworth who does collected, he'll put up uh, on this stand this comic book rack uh, several books on the front row which are usually higher end uh, cost books like uh, I bought four uh, one forty eight the first appearance of the Wrecker uh, off there and I got that for about eighteen dollars and you know wow. like they, the second row is books for five dollars third row is book for three dollars and I've got a uh, couple Silver Age Superman and Superboys uh, comics there for uh, relatively cheap, but they're they're doing this virtually every day. If you go on Facebook and you can look for... I don't know if the other comic book shops are doing this. Um, and so well, like... A shop down in my area is um, Brian. I just saw that last night. Yesterday or the day before there, I was like, what the heck are they doing? I go, oh, how cool. I didn't realize it was some part of a, a nationwide kind of a collaboration that's cool yeah and i mean this is the, you know the, the way they've got to be able to do business or they they go under and this is what they're doing i mean at least one of the things i know that you can call them and say hey i want to get this 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 and this when they're open but they're not keeping the, the regular hours that they were during you know normal times um and of course with diamond shutting things down there's no new book distribution at this point though it looks like things may be getting started here now I, and this is just my opinion here. I could be wrong, but I, I felt that this may be the, the the right time for the comic book, the big guys in comic books, to make the change to go away from the direct market and maybe start selling to the big box stores, Target, Walmart, you know, just the the larger stores. They should be able to start printing and putting comic books at the checkout. And maybe that way they could start bringing in the younger readers again because the younger readers aren't going to the the comic book shops. They don't know. It better not be grim and gritty. Well, and that's the know. thing is that you would have to basically they'd have to you know start a brand new series of books, but they should do it in the sandbox. 
you know, yeah. but an all ages book, <clears throat> like they were in the seventies, like they were in the eighties. They they can write all ages and still make them adult enough that that, that we enjoy them. I mean, that was our heyday. That was you know the area that we seemed to love the most, and those books were still written for all ages. So I mean, again, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but it seems like now would be the right time. The hardest thing in that is the printing because printing is so expensive now. And to be able to sell in big box stores, you'd have to print a lot more books than what they're printing because they're only printing a few hundred thousand, if at most, of any of the of the bigger books. And they'd have to print a lot more. So again, it's it's a tough situation. But they got to bring the price down too, because yeah. mom and pop are not gonna gonna shell out for a four dollar five dollar comic book for Junior. But that's it's got to be much cheaper. If you're doing it as checkout material, and I'll give a good example, the Archie Digests. Yep. Archie Digests sell off the shelves all the time. They you know they can't keep them on the shelves. The Marvel and DC Digests that they've been putting out here, they're seven dollars a book, and yet they're selling off the shelves too. As an impulse buy, you know, kids see that and they go, look, it's Captain America. Look, it's Iron Man. And they get it. Now, again, once they get it, are they getting what they want to read? I don't know. Because they're taking uh, these digestor reprints of stuff that's more recent. And again, is that what they really want to read? But, you know, that market seems to do well if they can expand upon that. When you start printing in higher volumes, you should be able to lower your price. But then again, printing is the big key there. Is, is there a way of doing the printing where they can keep the price down? Yeah, might have to go back to uh, a form of newsprint. Uh, newsprint type stuff. Yeah, well, comics were always disposable. They were considered to be pulp. The you know the printing was cheap and the paper was cheap and the books fell apart, and that's one of the reasons why they were scarce, and that's one of the reasons why we're willing to pay such high prices, supply and demand to get those earlier issues, to uh, to recapture our youth. I think that's what's really driven the industry for decades now. People trying to recapture their youth and fill in the blanks. <laughs> um, yeah, hence, hence all of the essentials and showcase black and white things, and all of the, and now the trade paperbacks on my and omnibuy on my shelves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're always looking for. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, the the thing is, there's nothing that says that they can't. You know, even though they're they're putting out, they'd be putting out new books. There's nothing to say that they can't also write these for the trade. You know, yeah, fine, let's have a Superman story that's a, a six-issue arc and then make it a trade. That's fine. Hopefully they won't, they won't have to comp- you know, decompress it so much. But, you know, they can put it out in, on the comic book stands and then make a trade that's printed better. But still, yeah. that, would help, that would help sales of both. But that, again, that's just, you know, speculation. There are a lot of, a lot of other aspects of the, of the industry that I just don't know. Right. Yeah. I just would like to be, you know, Jiminy Cricket in somebody's ear to sit there and say to him, hey, have you considered this? Have you considered that? But, you know, we don't know what they're doing. I mean, they're throwing paper towels against the wall, but they seem to not be figuring out what's the best target market to work with. When they changed the lineup of the Avengers books to match or to emulate the cinematic universe, Mm -hmm. those teams and those characters... The handwriting was on the wall for me. It was like, 
you know, the Uncanny Avengers and the, yeah. I, I can't remember what the, their titles were, but it was like, this is almost unreadable. Uh, the Red Skull stole the body and brain of Professor X, and I'm like, what kind of a kid's story is this? And that's just about where I checked out. It's like, these books are like four bucks a copy, five bucks in many instances. I'm out. I just... I, I just left it, much like the guys in Back to the Bins have said, you know, disenfranchised by the modern comic book industry. Yes. Hmm. Yep, yep. So hopefully, they, you know, they can listen to us and maybe they can find a way to bring in younger viewers, yet uh, listeners, or readers, good golly, where, where's my head today? Uh, <laughs> to bring in the young readers and then some find some way of, of not alienating those of us that have been with it for so long. Now, to be honest... I haven't really bought a brand new book um, that often in the recent past. I mean, I bought the the super anniversaries of Batman and Superman, but I and, and I think I did try some House of M stuff, but nothing that's uh, continued and kept on. How about you guys? Have you bought any of the newer stuff? Occasionally, I might uh, I I pick up some of the. Um the anniversary stuff, like you said, the the, the big things are some of the bigger uh, issue one thousand, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff occasionally. Uh, but but what I'm looking forward to coming out next month, the facsimile edition of Secret Origins number seventeen <laughs> with the Huntress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's what I'm looking forward to. And then these dollar issues are just killing it for me. I, you know, it's like I, if, if I go to the comic book shop and before you know, we went on lockdown, they had all those you know dollar issues that were reprints of stuff. And there's a lot of stuff I realized I didn't read. And I'd rather go back and read those than try to read something new. Have you guys been doing think, any of that? I think the two most recent books that I purchased uh, was Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. I can't recall exactly how they labeled it, but it was a story that was featured on uh, Back to the Bins. And so I specifically went to a comic shop, and I sought it out. And while I was there, I saw a True Believer's copy of Spider-Man number, what, 13? First appearance of Mysterio. And I remember reading that in reprint as a kid. And this was, what, only a buck? And so I bought that, and I took it into work, and I passed it around because the Mysterio movie had just come out. Right. Uh I think that's it. I don't recall buying anything else except for maybe the FF reboot issue number one. And even that wasn't terribly satisfying to me. But, you know, that's 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 it. I think the other thing that I bought fairly recently was a trade paperback that collected all the initial appearances of the Inhumans. And that's a good value at 20 bucks. Yeah. That's Jack Kirby artwork. It's got all the early appearances that Jack drew um, before they got their own solo book, but they did have a solo strip. Anyways, I, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but that's that's the only other thing that I've invested in, other than an occasional Marvel Masterworks that I need to fill in to complete my collection. Hmm. I, I'm part of the uh, Comic-Con International book club here in, um, where I live, and we don't read a lot of superhero stuff. We read a lot of independent and other <clears throat> other market graphic novels, mostly. It's all pretty much graphic novels. But some of them are collected, like Saga. Uh, they're 
there are seri- ongoing series that are collected in the trades, and we'll take a volume of that and read and read those. And man, it's <clears throat> it's really been great because it's uh, opened my reading into other aspects and some other really cool stories and some some really great stuff. So I've been enjoying reading uh, illustrated books, not necessarily a comic series all the time. Uh, um, through the book club and like one of the more recent ones we did was that vision 12 issue series came out from marvel a couple years ago where they reimagined the vision and his family and a family for him um so yeah i'm reading other stuff like that which is which is pretty interesting and brian i'm reading um cold war now uh, yeah. that we talked about uh yeah. last couple episodes ago which was uh, so i'm really enjoying that Good, good. I'm, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. That was uh, that was pretty good. Excellent. And you you yeah, the, you did read the Romulans one also, didn't you? No, I haven't. I, I haven't started reading it yet because I'm going to watch that episode, like you said, like you suggested, watch that first, and then or you, know, you suggested read the first. Read the first book. story, watch the episode balance episode, and then okay, yeah. So I still got to do that. But yeah, I'm reading Cold War right now, so I'll start that. And it was really cool how the first like four or five pages of the story is wordless and he just told the story uh, without thought balloons and without words and stuff i was uh, i was like oh this is interesting <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a, and very effective he's definitely one of the masters of the of the silent storytelling have you yeah. read critical error That's, it's a yes. complete completely silent one it showed up <laughs> in the art of john Byrne, and it's been published separately with some um corrections or modifications, some modesty uh, additions. It's been yeah. published as a single issue, but that is a completely silent tale that is just phenomenal. I it is. so like that story. Yeah, I it understand is. for the the updated one that they went back and uh, I'm not sure if it was burned, but edited the original artwork. Yeah, not, not yeah. Just, they drew not, in but a they pair of bikini on the pants on her original pages. Is that is that correct? They did it on the original pages. They didn't do it on copies. I don't know, but I know that whatever they published in the comic book format, mm-hmm. as opposed to the trade, was um, I. Uh, I'm looking for the right word. Sanitized. It yeah. was yeah. a little bit less adult. They covered the naughty bits. Okay. Yes. That's about all that was adjusted. Uh, no changes in the plot. No changes in the storyline. Right. Um, they just drew in a pair of panties on the naked girl. There. Just a little comic code authority censorship. Just a little. Just enough to make it more palatable. And I, you know, I don't mind that. It it's still the same story. It still plays really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim actually gave me the art of John Byrne as a gift, so that was really, really nice. That's, Ooh, that's a nice gift. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's go ahead and get to X Men Elsewhere. Now, in our last episode, we'd gone up to issue four, and um, you know, just a quick thing there towards the end of what we did. Uh, the X Men were fighting uh, Sentinels. Uh, as they were trying to help, uh, what, what was her name, Miss Atascal and Pablo. And Pablo, turned out, was a young mutant with a power that allowed him to uh, animate inanimate objects. And he was uh, actually fighting off the Sentinels with more more success than the X-Men himself. Mm-hmm. And um, the last page we saw, of course, was Shaw and Jyrich 
with Nightcrawler and several other mutants uh, in captivity. And uh, Shaw basically saying, yeah, we're coming to get everybody. So, um, now, Kirk, did you have anything you wanted to comment about the the first four issues before we start going into the uh, issue five here? I think I skimmed those issues after uh, you guys covered it last episode of your podcast. I skimmed, I read the first one pretty closely while I was at work on my lunch hour, and then I flashed through two, three, four, and because you were expecting to start with five, I've done the same thing with a little bit more attention last night, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So, um, boy, it's pretty, it's, it's beautiful artwork. It's, you can follow the action. Um, it's really gorgeous. And I love the way that he syncs it in with continuity of the time with a reference to a past adventure or something that has happened simultaneous in the published mainstream. Just, he's an excellent, excellent plotter to, to tie those things in. Yes. Yeah. Now, the current issue, issue five, starts off, uh, it's titled, and call his name Magneto. And uh, we get a beautiful single-page shot of the Blackbird flying out to Muir Island. And, of course, the detail on Blackbird, it's based off of a, a model that he keeps, that uh, he works from. And, of course, Muir Island, I think, is also based off of a model as well. And uh, so you see that down on the ocean with a bank of clouds behind it. And, of course, the uh, Kirby Crackle coming off the engines. Uh, Again, just with the angle and everything, it's just a beautiful shot. Yeah, it is. Definitely. It tells a lot. Just as it swoops in, um, it feels ominous. I mean, we know what's happened there. and the X-Men on the plane just know that something happened, but uh, it, to me it just has this air of ominousness, and I'm sure once it's colored it will be even more more, more effective. One thing I do find interesting as I look at this uh, you know, page with a little bit more uh, scrutiny is, of course, if you look at around the jets, where the, where the jet's coming out, and then you've got the that part that goes around it. You see the grooved part that, that's right there at the end of the engines. The tail cone. Yeah, and you see where he's drawn the uh, other part of the engine in there that, that an inker would completely obscure. You know, once, once they inked and colored it, you wouldn't be able to see that. But as the artist, you know, he's gone in there and done that to give the, the, uh, the work symmetry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful. How many people can that thing hold? <laughs> it's, it's a small jet, but man, it holds a lot of people. Well, at Whatever one time, it carried, didn't it carry the it carry the Mala from Krakoa when they uh, had all 13 X-Men aboard the ship at the giant size X-Men 1? Yeah. 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 Okay, well, let's uh, go on to the, the next page. Of course, you see them going past uh, Muir Island's own version of the Epcot globe. And, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Has that always looked that way? Is this an original design by him, or has it ever been shown before? Honestly, I don't recall. I'm going to have to go back and and look and see if they've shown that before. I mean, obviously he's done in the previous issues here, but I don't know if in the old issues of the X-Men if it was was ever done. And I did a a read-through of those stories not too long ago. But again, it was... uh, I'm so familiar with the stories that it was more of a 
a skim through and a passage of uh, passing some of uh, Claremont's more verbose uh, passages. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, I think it's a great, great. You, know, you can talk about it as the Epcot Globe. Boy, it's a great visual, and it sure. Every time you see it show up, you know where you're at. You're at Mur Island. It's a great visual anchor. Mm-hmm. Now, Doug, of course, these, these frames in the middle, the one where, where Wolverine's looking out the window, Wolverine and Colossus are looking out the window, and you can see that, that the cabin down below has been trashed. And just the detail on that and everything around there, all the uh, little nice uh, burn tech... That's a beautiful piece, and the bottom piece, of course, makes me think of the first issue of El Swen. Okay, guys. What? I pulled out my trusty hardcover collection of the Proteus story because I happen to be nearby on my good, good <clears throat> on my bookshelf. X Men One Twenty Five. It does show Muir Island, and there is a globe there. There you go. And that funky little research shake building, yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. What a wonderful world we live in. 125, you say? Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's the second to the last page on 125, and again, <laughs> the X Men get attacked. <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, yep, there you are. Wow. Not to spoil a 40 year old story, but um, yeah. Uh, poor Havoc and Polaris and Madrox, I mean, they just have a tough time on this island. <laughs> they ought to consider relocating. Come on, they're all well, by themselves. I mean, it's like once every couple of years something happens. Okay, so, you know, Sentinels come and storm you. The price you pay, unfortunately. Well, in a couple of pages, we're going to find out the downside of having all those mutants collected together in one location. Somebody, our mystery villain, is going to, well, we've already revealed who it is, is going to actually make the statement, Oh, thank you for gathering them for me. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, I like uh, on the. I think it's the third page. Wolverine doing his snuff, snuff to the ground. Yeah. yeah. And of course, this uh. is the page that actually brings in uh, Magneto. But you know, Wolverine sitting there and is aware that he's trying to mask his scent. How does that work? Good question. And how does I he w- mask his scent? It's like I don't get that. But that's not important. Let's keep going. <laughs> but no, that's that's a really good point. But again, like the this next page, I mean, this next piece of art where there is a bacow as the X-Men are all thrown about in what appears to be magnetic waves, which I think was done through heavy use of pencil, then eraser. Uh-huh. Yeah. Look at that. And that yeah, I, yeah. again, I'm not an artist myself, but I sit there and I look at things like this and I wonder just how did they do that? And yeah, that that I think could only be pencil and eraser. Kirk, do you have any experience at trying to do art? Nope. No. Nope. Yeah, because my art all looks like Picasso, but not in a good way. If hmm. you think Picasso's art is a good way. I'm thinking that Byrne used whiteout to do, instead of an eraser, to interrupt those lines of force. You know, the concentric circles hmm. that are white underneath um, Cyclops' leg that looks like white out to me rather than an eraser huh. it's possible if you blow it up really large you can kind of see a little bit of the lines underneath and maybe that's just because it's bleeding through the white out yeah. interesting just a guess Yeah. 
I like the next panel below when oh, they God. do Magneto in silhouette. Mm-hmm. I read that initially as I was just glancing over. It's like, oh, that's a sentinel head. That's, you know, the big blocky head. Oh, but the word balloon clearly <laughs> steers it in another direction. It's like, oh, I know who this is. Yeah. Let me ask yeah. you, who, before Ian McKellen, who, who was your Magneto voice? Did you have, like, a, a voice that you heard in your head that represented him? Was it representative of anybody? Not for me. I, Not for me. I don't recall. See, but my, then Magneto's had such strong characterizations at different periods of the, the series. He's been characterized as an out-and-out megalomaniac murderer. He's been a uh, manipulative... Um, you know, father figure. He's been a misunderstood uh, Jewish refugee. He's, you know, they have really put him through changes. So I don't have a specific person's voice in my head. When I was younger, watching um, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, uh, they had they had an, an episode with Magneto in it, and I remember for whatever reason, uh, it made me think of Jack Palance. You know, um, Curly from the the Alan what are those movies called with Billy Crystal? Yeah, yeah. But uh, also, he was Carl Grissom in Batman. But I mean, he's been in a number of things. Won won a, an Oscar. Well, he won an Oscar for City Slickers, I think. But uh, just yeah, Jack Plant was was my idea for Magneto, and that was the voice that I heard in my head. Mm. Uh, That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we get to the uh, X-Mansion, and we see uh, Carla and Pablo in the kitchen, and still we're finding out more about Car- uh, uh, Pablo and and how he works in the scene with Kitty, because he's, you know, of course, animating things. And it's not unlike, um, what's the fellow's name, uh, Jeffries from uh, Alpha Flight, oh, and animating yeah. uh, inanimate objects. Madison Jeffries, but again, these being mundane um, scenes are still interesting and well detailed, especially the hair of, of both the character of all, all the characters. But Pablo's expression still kind of creeps me out. <laughs> yeah, and you know, as, a- as I look around the X Men's kitchen, I'm trying to see if I can. Um, reconcile that versus any other TV sitcom kitchens. <laughs> but uh, it looks like the Property Brothers have gone in and turned it into an open concept with an island. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, probably after a rebuild from somebody destroying the mansion or going crazy and blowing something up. <laughs> I have to remember if... Um, there was a big explosion or something when Phoenix re- returned as Dark Phoenix or when she left or something. I don't know. I can't remember, but yeah, I'm sure. Not at the X-Mansion. <clears throat> they they didn't fight at the X-Mansion. That's right. They didn't, yeah. And so oh, the, the but only we did time get can... just We did get to see Nightcrawler and Beast and the others sitting around in the kitchen um, at some leaving, point after. Yeah, leaving butt prints on the countertop like cats. <laughs> yes, yes. And the two of them looking at each other going... You've got blue fur. I've got blue fur. <laughs> I remember that scene. That was a, a nice little little touch. It's done non-verbally, but they're both noticing each other, mimicking each other's body 
position. Yeah. Well, I don't know where that was, about 132, 133, 135, something in there. Yeah, somewhere right before um, Dark Phoenix came back. It was after yep. the fight in um, Central Park, I think. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's yep. uh, the issue where Gene's on the cover holding the X-Men logo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, by the way, speaking of that, somebody just pointed out that's actually an homage to an earlier cover. Did you realize that? Yeah, the Neil I Adams. I never did. Yeah, the Neil Adams yeah. one. Yeah, that gets pointed out uh, about every month on like the Burn Victims or the Genius <laughs> of John Burn Facebook group. Uh, it, it's yeah. I mean, again, you know, that was there was a lot of homage. And I, I discovered something myself the last time last year when we did our little Dark Phoenix event was that um, in 136, the X Men logo is still cracked from mm-hmm. what she did in 135. And then, of course, 137 is healed, but the, the, the page is ruined by that big uh, quarter ad they run across the top of the front cover. Yeah, don't get me started on those. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, uh, uh, back to our story here. Of course, Kitty is trying to uh, engage Pablo, and she brings her fingers up through the counter using her phasing ability, and that freaks the kid the heck out. And, she should have uh, known better. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, is that they've been trying to engage him, trying to get him to to come out of, of his whatever whatever you want to call it. I mean, they, they initially labeled it as autism, but it's got something more to do with his mutant power. And uh, as you see, once he gets freaked out, he's got the whole kitchen going full carry mode on them. And he's bringing all the steak knives at them. That right there is, seems almost, um, um, you know evil intent mm-hmm. even though this is a little kid and you know he looks like he's trying to kill his mother mm-hmm. in fact if you look at that carefully enough it's almost like he's not intending to get kitty but just his mother with those knives am i reading too much into that no i i caught that too interesting and of course as as burn does the page itself ends in a cliffhanger Mm-hmm. And we move on to the next page, and there, of course, is one of the great, great scenes. Professor Xavier talking on the the vid phone with Captain America and uh, some of the Avengers, Vision and Scarlet Witch, there at Avengers Mansion. I I love <clears throat> that top half of the page. It is, brings back so many cool memories to me of of reading these um, when I was a kid, picking them up off the shelves or getting them in my brown wrapper subscription package. Uh, just and I loved I, I really loved it that he was that that it really tied into the rest of the Marvel Universe at the time that was really cool yeah and I mean just the little details I mean you can see there's real depth to the Avengers Mansion there uh, behind Cap and, and the Vision Scarlet Witch in that second that second panel there and of course the burn yeah. tech around all this is gorgeous but um, and then of course the the nice little mundane detail of Cap's shield just laying there, but it's within uh, arm's reach of him. Yeah, that and and the little cross hatched or the the tartan blanket that Xavier always had on his legs, and he's not in his uh, Shi'ar hover chair that he eventually yeah. adopted at some point. But yeah, the little details are great. You know, like the shield just sitting there and Cap kind of looking relaxed and you know. Uh, interested, but not 
fighting mode, just kind of like, yeah, what's going on, Xavier? You know, and and then the 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 blanket on the the legs and everything was really good. Yeah, even the drawing grid going up beyond the the monitor on that very first panel, and I'm, I'm just trying, my mind is trying to reconcile that to an image, or is that just a drawing grid to give him the right perspective? I think it's perspective. Yeah. But I just find, find that cool because it, it gives you a piece of the of, of how he's doing his storytelling in that. I like that. And then, of course, as Xavier's talking to them about the Sentinels and what's going on, um, he notices he he senses something's going on in the kitchen and has to end the call. And comes into the kitchen to find all of you know hex broken loose, and you can see that the knives have all landed. Looks to be really close to the utensil drawer, so that's you know, some goodness there. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I see. Yes, they've embedded themselves into the drawer behind Kitty and his and his mother. Yeah, Carla. Um, but yeah, Xavier's coming just the right time. But then again, another cliffhanger, kind of. But as we go to the next page, we get something that we've you know, been waiting to see. Wow! In all of his glory, all of his yeah. fury, standing there above Cyclops, uh, and of course the Cyclops is in one of those kind of typical burn positions and I'll go all the way back to Avengers 164 where uh, Count Nefaria just knocked the Scarlet Witch on her on, on her uh, but in the very last panel yeah uh, but uh, then the, that shadowed image of uh, Magneto's face and then Wolverine stupidly coming in and announcing his attack mm-hmm uh, <laughs> it's a great page it really is and yeah well a lot of a lot of characters always seem to announce their attack I, I'm kind of like or, or like in, in movies today when people decide oh they're going to go and attack the villain from behind but then they uh, announce themselves with this this curling scream of it's <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah now on, Mag- on the very first panel uh, Magneto his uh, his right hand is there some stud there, or is that just some sort of shadow effect or, or something? I, I don't know what that is. It's right there where his palm would be, or at the top of the palm as it goes to it connects to the wrist. Oh, um, I just see it as a shadow effect. The same here. Effect. Yeah. Okay. Just just making sure I didn't know if that that because you know it's like sometimes Magneto's costumes got other accoutrements or even controls and such. Uh, you know, in the earlier yeah. issues, not not uh, not this one, of course. Burns. Uh, Magneto's costume is pretty, uh, I don't want to say Spartan, because it's got, you know, the, the big cape and the, the huge rivets and and all that, yeah. but, uh, God, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And if you look at, in the bottom panel, uh, it's showing us the image that the shadow came from, from the few pages before. Yes. yes. Which is, I just noticed that, I was like, oh, that's cool, because now you can see the perspective of what the shadow caused. Uh, from the the rivet on his whatever's holding his cape there and his his helmet and stuff. And now I have to go back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. And then Wolverine. I mean, if you saw Wolverine coming at you like that, you you know that you're done. Yeah. But Magneto just flings him far yeah. far away. Fortunately, well, he did it through the the hole in the wall, so. 
And, and I like the fact that Wolverine isn't in the typical burn, I'm flying away shot, you know, where he's got one leg bent up. and Like, you see Colossus get blown away, he's always got, like, one leg bent up, almost like Superman flying. Yeah. But Cyclops, of course, is blasting at Magneto. Magneto's trying to shield himself, and once again, you see those magnetic waves come out with uh, what yeah. looks to be a white-out white effect. Now that you say it like that, I can't see it any other way. Sorry. Oh no, that's 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 all right. It's, it, it it has an effect on some of the the lines up above, and I love the sound, Kazak. I've always liked the Cyclops uh, uh, optic sounds, like Zark, yeah. which, is, which yeah. is my favorite. Zarkness. And, and here's Scott again, blast the Wolverine, and then the re- the thought bubble that didn't get put on. There's how many times in the Danger Room have I said, "Don't announce your attack." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he might have had a chance, but for his bragging. But uh, Magneto still gets the better of Scott. Yep. Collapses the house on top of him. And then Colossus, of all, <laughs> is able, was able to sneak up behind Magneto and remove his helmet. Of course, without Professor X there to take advantage of that, I, you know, the, the, what good that can do, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what Colossus was thinking. Maybe he was going to punch him? <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, Colossus, even in human form, would punch a regular person. You'd be in a world of hurt, that's for sure. Right, right. But, yeah, it's kind of strange. Now who's boasting Magneto while he takes his helmet off? Is that just to say, nanny, 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 I touched you? Or does he think, like Juggernaut, his power rests in his helmet? It's just kind of it's, it's a strange thing, but it's a, it's a good effect. Well, I think that in all the training room ex- exercises, that's probably always been one of the goals. Uh-huh. is to remove the helmet so that someone like the professor would be able to then, or Gene, for that matter, would have been able yeah. to, you know, attack him telepathically. Yeah. But without them being there, it's almost a futile gesture. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, Storm, you know, he... he the next page. Yeah. This page is just beautiful in the action. And Kirk, yeah. don't let us talk over you. If, you. if you got something to say, say. No, no, I agree. Yeah. And, of course, I, Magneto does summon his helmet back as soon as he can. Yep. I, I, love the, I love the way Byrne draws storms when she's fully exerting her power. In, in an image like this, it's fantastic. Uh, in previous issues of the regular continuity, he's really just shown her in such an immense stance and power. It's really, really great. It's that great use of, of I, I call it reverse shadow, like what, what you see on her face, the areas where it's darkened, and it kind of enhances the beauty of her. Of course, her eyes yeah. being opaqued over and such. Um, yeah. Dave Cockrum used to do that as really well as well when he drew her fully unleashing her power. Mm-hmm. He used to just do really beautiful images like this of her uh, as well. So this is really and I love this costume of hers. I hated that white one in the nineties, but I love oh, yeah. this really it's really a stunning look for her. Yeah, well, Cockrum of course was one of the great costume designers. You know, I mean of course he did uh, hers and Nightcrawler's and um, Colossus's costumes, along with uh, the Legion of Superheroes, which so many of them are gorgeous. Though he yeah. did draw some of my least favorite costumes, uh, Polaris's costume. 
the just, Shi'ar one? Yeah, I just never yeah. can stand that. Yeah. Uh, again, there was a lot of Shi'ar, um, Cockrum Shi'ar effect that I, I wasn't a big fan of, but, you know, that's, that's yeah. just me. Yeah. So Magneto escapes, uh, you know, because Storm is just, you know, he doesn't have any time for her. And so I must continue. He says, I must continue my plan, but there's no explanation of what the plan is. I like that. That, that kind of draws me in. It's like, okay, what did I miss? There, mm-hmm. There's more, something more here. Yes. Well, I mean, again, it is Mirror Island, and Magneto's all about the mutants. But uh, then on our next page, we see Colossus clearing away the debris, and he finds Cyclops and cries out in shock uh, when, when, he, when he apparently finds him. And then, of course, we see Wolverine recovering a mile away. A mile away. <laughs> I like that. And then he goes, okay, that one's on me. Save the speeches until after the fight. And then he sees <laughs> Magneto coming in. And I love Magneto is flying, but he's not flying in the flat-out, straight, George Reeves Superman flying way. He's virtually standing up and being carried along by the magnetic waves. Yeah. Uh, is it John Byrne? Did he typically draw Magneto flying like this because it seems like this was kind of like his way of drawing Magneto flying, which I think is cool because to me that just shows He's Magneto's, slow. yeah, like power stance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it it's within Magneto's character because, you know, he's not yes. going to be like everybody else. He is above everybody else. And so, yeah, it's... That's an interesting uh, recognition of, of, of just how he would be doing things. But Wolverine yeah. is, is basically doing his best to sneak up on him. He sees Storm coming in, but uh, he says that uh, that she's not going to be able to take him on, even in uh, even what looks to be a weakened state. And I'm not sure why he would think Magneto's in a weakened state. But he did say it looks like it took him much more effort than usual. I mean, Storm's attack must have taken a little more out of him than... Uh, than oh, yeah. And so he's yeah. coming in there, and of course, once again, we're directed somewhere else. And, <laughs> uh, this is over on the Scottish mainland. We see that um, Jamie Madrix is in town getting supplies. And um, for some reason, when I see that shot of Jamie Madrix's face, I think of Shag Matthews. And I don't know why. Okay. Because it really doesn't look like him. (laughs) (laughs) But it makes me think of Shag Matthews for some reason. Again, you know, Jamie Madrix is one of those guys that uh, he's got an unfortunate side effect of his power. Is that if anything, any kind of kinetic energy hits him, he duplicates. And so he winds up wearing this costume that's supposed to, you know, aid him in preventing that. But at the same time, it means he has to wear a full head covering. And so only his face is visible in that. And so he has to wear a hoodie all the time. Otherwise, people are like, dude, what's up? You know? (laughs) But uh, Mm -hmm. the townspeople around him, of course, are all very unique and uh, different characters, which I find interesting. Is that a, a Mini Cooper in the second panel? It looks like it. And of course, all the houses on the hillside there in the top part yeah. are, are beautiful. It looks like a, a, a David Winter collage. 
I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. The no. David Winter Cottages. Um, but, uh, yeah, I love this page just for everything. And just a little putt, 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 putt of the boat that uh, Mad yeah. gets onto. You can it's nice it. to have these these moments of just like a little normalcy or quiet in between all of the action to draw the story through as well. It, it makes it more, to me, just a, a nice world building. You just kind of see things in the rest of the world. And uh, I like this. It's a nice page. I have a question about that bottom panel. I agree with the layout and the putt-putt-putt's really nice, but I'm looking at the word balloons and also the uh, Murr Island, which apparently is in the bottom right, and the um, the caption box is shaped to draw your eye to that point. And I'm beginning to wonder, how did he label, how did he put on these word balloons? Are these paste-ons, or did he just draw it out and then letter in the, the space that he had there? You know what I'm saying? I, I'm got, wondering about the mechanics. How does he do this? He has got a uh, a, a letterer's uh, catalog of letters, a specific guy, I don't remember the fellow's name, um, that he uses for the lettering that he goes in and then creates the balloons and puts it on there. And looking at, at what he's done over the years, he's so cognizant of you know he one of the things that really drew, drove him nuts back in the x-men days is to sit there and draw all this beautiful detail and then have virtually every bit of it covered up in exposition by you know by, by claremont and so right. he's doing his best to make sure that the the balloon placement and you know positioning is such that it directs the story that it only adds to it and doesn't detract from it so, I mean, again, it's all carefully considered, but the actual mechanics of it, I can't say specifically what they are, other than that he does have a catalog of letters that he uses, so they're always going to be consistent like this, um, and that he creates some balloons himself. So he's got multiple type balloons that are to you know delineate whether it's just regular conversation, shouting, or thought. Okay. And there's different types of thought too, as well. So, yeah. But I, I mean, and, and uh, you know, I said it earlier, but it just sticks out in my head that the way he's got the uh, the sound effects on there for the boat, I can actually hear that in my head. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I was watching what a couple last week with the talented Mr. Ripley. Um, mm-hmm. They did a little bit of boat stuff, and it makes I think it's that that also is adding to the effect. <laughs> Okay, so back to the X-Mansion. Uh, Xavier and Kitty talk about who's going to clean the kitchen. <laughs> oh, what a mess. <laughs> the, and it's funny because she says, I think the worst is over. And I'm like, no, no, someone still has to clean this up. Yeah. And there's not any you know direct tele, uh, telekinetics that we have that can do it anymore. <laughs> and Xavier is able to get Pablo to say something but still just not much he keeps uh, you know shuddering away mm-hmm. and then the X-Men uh, that they see a TV broadcast that uh, Sentinels are attacking uh, all around what's the mm-hmm. 35 below that TV screen it says 35 degrees I think that's the angle of the monitor okay 
Interesting, yeah. Yeah, the angle of the monitor above them. Because you can see he's even drawn some lines on that, but he had to delete the grid lines around it for the sake of the page frame. At least that's how it looks to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And back to Storm. <laughs> back to Storm. And that shot of her face is so... I mean, I don't recall Adam's ever drawing Storm, but that's Adam's-esque with a little bit of Cockrum in it, of course, with the, the Cockrum headdress. I don't know, that's always going to make me think of him. Mm. Now, what is this to Storm's right? Is that just rock? Which panel? The, in the third panel? The, the third panel. Because uh, mm. the first panel, she's flying all around the... what well, looks to be the... It looks like she's gone inside the globe... Uh, Amir Island, and then as, as she's going around and she's coming down for a landing, it looks, I guess that's rock. And then, of course, you No, I, I think it's Magneto's shadow because look at those little circles. Yes, that, I agree. Like, yeah, 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 you're right, you're thing. right. And then Is he she... shows up below. Yep. And so he's a side he shot of his something. shoulder and his arm, and maybe his. Um, I, don't know, I agree, it's Magneto. Yep. It's his yep. chest plate, yeah. You're, you are a hundred percent right. If you look at the white there, it's it's outlining the his the side of his body and his pecs as well. Yeah. yeah. But the detail on the Moira uh, panel, the the fourth panel, is almost scary. You know, in. in Moya's a pretty tough cookie, isn't she? She gets, she's been through a lot. <laughs> yeah, a heck of a lot. And then, of course, you know, the X Men think Magneto's done all this. They're not even aware that it was the Sentinels, and that's yeah. you know, what the, the the panel below is saying. But what is that below the Moira's uh, board balloon, where she says Magneto hasn't, and then there's something there below? I mean, it could just be rubble. I don't know. It- it seems very specific with, with that triangle though it looks kind of interesting I don't know <sighs> anyway but then we go to the next page and Magneto attacks from behind <laughs> twisted metal shards and everything flying through the air maybe or that's more. what it is maybe it's, the, it's supposed to imply movement of some of the debris that is full frame in the next top of oh. the next panel okay yeah, I was, I was trying to tell if that was something uh, of Magneto or from Magneto, and mm. um, but it, it's just really hard to tell. Yeah. A small portion of the frame, but on the next page, of course, Magneto's got his arms outreached and he's uh, attacking the both of them, and then Storm, of course, uh, strikes back, but he captures her lightning and hurls it back at her. That's something I haven't seen him be able to do before. I agree. I, I don't it, know why. It makes me think of when Magneto first fought the Phoenix and her power failed her. For okay. some reason. That's that's mm-hmm. what it makes me think in this that maybe he was able to re you know, fold her power back at her. Yeah. Ten times too. I'm just at yeah. It's an interesting take. Yeah, there, there's been a couple questions about Byrne giving 
character's powers beyond you know things that we're aware of. We find that out later with Shaw too. Yeah. Um, God, but the next page, that that frame of him standing there over her, and then this is the page that drew some some controversy. Uh, Magneto talking about you know her and uh, yeah. Better uses as he's going down to kiss her. <laughs> yeah, and then of course Wolverine comes in and whew, dream us annoyed. But the detail of that top panel, the shadow and light, yeah. uh, and just him standing there above, walking up to Storm. I, I, that right there could be a cover, though. Uh, what's his name? Um, Steve Wilcox, who runs the Burn Victims webpage. He actually used the panel of, of Magneto standing over Scott as the cover for this issue when they compiled it as a uh, CBR on the, the Burn Victims group there. You can go to the file section there and pull those down. What is a CBR? It's uh, a basically a zip file that holds all the pages so you can read it like a, a digital issue. Okay. And uh, that, yeah, I've got virtually all of my collection. I've got also CBR copies of, of most every issue, so I can pull them up on my tablet rather than having to get the floppy out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so and after we get past, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. So well, so this this was mentioned about his creepiness here, and uh, people uh, posted it onto his his uh, his burn robotics and um of course some people misunderstand I, I don't know if people were really making it controversial or or this shouldn't be in comics or not i mean I, I remember when i posted i was like wow this just shows how what how villainous he is going all you know doug brock on her um but i think he kind of posted a, a response and i don't remember correctly but he's like this is just showing that he's a villain that this is just he's just a real bad person <laughs> Uh, and he is. He's just a really bad guy. I take from this that he is attracted to her and that he's he's lamenting, saying in a different reality, I may have made better use of you. He uses people, but he's showing tenderness as he picks her up and is removing his helmet. I think it... it, Oh, okay. If you look at the second panel, you can see his features have just softened. Yeah. Where, where the, the features in any other times when you saw his face they were so hard they were so unyielding yet right there yeah. it's it's almost concerned but like you know like you said recognition of the beauty and, yeah. but but the, the very phrase you know I might have made better use of you yeah just, absolutely just, there is that, a creep factor that's intended yeah. there there's you're absolutely right about the subtext of this but I don't mind it this is an adult tale. Yes. Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't mind. See it either, what happens yeah. in the next panel. I mean, yeah. he gets interrupted, so yeah, I like yeah, no, it. It's it's an adult tale. You're right. It just, but it just shows how how he just is a bad Uses person. Uses people. Yeah. Okay, now the next page. Wow. How could anybody survive that onslaught? That's I what don't. I thought when I first saw this. I was like, you know, he's going to be revealed as a robot. You know, when <laughs> yeah. when that's where I was going. It's like, what? He survived this? Yeah, the three, I mean, there's one huge slash at first, then he's got both arms coming down at the same time and then pulling that arm, the the left arm away like that. 
just you, you've got to imagine the damage that that would have done you, even if it went in two three inches would would be near fatal or you, uh, lose an arm lose an appendage lose something not but, to mention the the first one in the panel the last panel of the last page where he got him on the back yeah you, but you have to figure that magneto's power is always on there's there's that natural defense yeah you know, that he's got but his guard was down for a second yeah um but you know then you and you can see that you know in that in that fourth panel that wolverine's definitely taken a huge toll on him yeah uh, it just is disheveled, and and you can see stuff, you know, maybe blood or just the, the the costume itself falling off of him. But he does get Wolverine away, though I don't know how he got him from behind him to in front of him, unless he rolled rolled or something, you know, turned or something. But and and you can see the weakness in his face in the bottom panel. Yeah. Yep. 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 And then of course the rest are showing up. The next page. Yeah, Cyclops comes in and just blasts him from behind in a huge Kazak. Yeah. And I like that uh, it shows Colossus is helping him. So it's not like all of a sudden he's fully recovered after having a house dropped on him. Yeah. Uh, he is. Burn here shows that, hey, this is taking a toll on Cyclops. You know, he needs help. He can't go on his own and then. Uh, and then the next panel, well, the rest of the panels, you still see Cyclops and Col- or Colossus supporting him, which is really a, a nice dose of real uh, realism here. It's like, yeah, he's tired, he's worn out. Yeah, I just love that that third panel where Magneto is sitting there just trying to survive the onslaught. Yeah, yeah. And then again, you see in the fourth panel. Magneto's waves of power going out, but it's definitely weakened. And yeah, more of the whiteout effect that we talked about. On that whiteout effect, though, look, he made it differently. It's all those little circles instead. Yeah. You think that might be indicating a different type of, like a weaker power or something? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's weakened. Yeah. Definitely weakened in that state. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Cyclops is, is, has gone from a wide beam down to a smaller direct probably much more powerful yeah uh beam on them also by concentrating that power um now he's not using and again you know cyclops power has always been an artistic endeavor sometimes you'll see him touching his visor to adjust the stream but he's also apparently got studs in the the thumbs of his gloves uh, but Burns taken not to show that. Yeah. But, uh, he definitely had to make an adjustment. Now I don't know if, if you guys are aware though. He's definitely changed the way the configuration of Scott's visor from when he was drawing the books back in the in the early '80s, late '70s, where he had a much larger uh, visor, and this mm. is uh, skimmed down. But I really like it. I do too. I hadn't thought the difference. It's uh, great. The fear on Magneto's face in that final panel there is just well done. Yes. Or the weakness or something. There, It definitely is not the, I'm about to kick your butt, Magneto. This is just like, dang, he's got me on the ropes. And then this this part really you know, surprised me here because I had no idea who this was, even though we had a little bit of a, of a hint earlier. 
Oh, you didn't get his his outfit, his uniform with the dots? Well, again, you know, the the, the thing is, I I kept thinking that at any point a Sentinel was going to show up. I wasn't thinking thinking that even we had gotten that that teaser of a page. And the the dots could be, you know, anything. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. That's, you know, definitely the signs of Jamie Madrox. And, 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 you know, looking at it now, yeah, it's easy to see that. But I, I was still, you know, in Sentinel mode myself. Yeah, you're right. He's playing with that expectation through the whole um, the whole issue, and and it's um, what is it? it's like a, a slasher movie. You keep waiting for the the bad guy to pop in, to walk in out of the shadows. You keep expecting, you keep expecting. They keep talking about the Sentinels. They keep talking about the Sentinels, and so yeah, he's playing on that. There's no question. Yeah. Yeah, and then Magneto uh-huh. does on the next page. He does that one more burst uh, that of course definitely is going to throw Wolverine and Colossus and by, by effect Cyclops back and uh, he of course then goes to fly away which just that I like that image because it just shows how much of a toll has been taken on him yeah yeah. but I find the, the, the images of Jamie Madrox going to him almost cartoony in contrast to everything else, it, it makes me go back to the uh, Cary Gamble series *Fallen Angels* that came out mm. in the '80s, because that also also made Jamie Madrox almost cartoonish in appearance. But I think it's got more to do with the way that costume is designed uh, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff there. Yeah. You know. Just how he could get all of his, unless he went once he jumped on him, he can multiply and they could just hang on from there. Um, I guess that might have worked out for him. Yeah, but if Cyclops would have been able to get a clear shot, as he says, he probably could have taken Magneto out. Sure. I love that that image of Magneto's face in the bottom right hand corner, though. I mean that that is just such a recognize. It almost reminds me of Doctor Smith from Lost in Space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or or Jack Palance. Still, I mean, I can see that. Oh, I can see Palance in there. Yeah. And it's it's a very Cockrum style of the way Cockrum used to draw Magneto with the little wisps of hair up and uh, the bushy eyebrows. That that was definitely to me. It seems like that was how uh, Dave Cockrum formed how Magneto would look. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Okay, and in another, his indomitable will might might seem admirable, and a mass murderer less so. And I like that Byrne is, is keeps pointing it out that this guy is a mass murderer. Uh, you know, all deference to what Chris Claremont did with the character in, in the later mm-hmm. issues, he's a bad guy. He is a bad guy. There, there's yeah, reprehensible, not redeemable. But uh, God, Muir Island is gorgeous, it, it, all the way down to the rocks and everything. Of course, I, I have to remind myself that that um, you know he's he's definitely working from a model, you know, on on, on the parts there. I even see that he's got a the note there center. I didn't mm-hmm. notice that until just now. Yeah. Hmm. So if you go down that trench, can you fire a couple proton torpedoes to blow it up? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, of course, he's got these panels, you know, going side to side rather than, you know, up and down. Yeah. Right. 
Um, but a, again, they're beautiful, and Storm just looks a real mess. Uh, she could probably use a couple cans of Aquanet. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she can't get it. She's too battered as well. And we see Moira is up on her feet. Barely. At this point. But the X-Men are just going to have to let Magneto get away. This is an odd parallel. Oro says, I've lost too much blood, yet Magneto's the one who got slashed to ribbons, and he hasn't said anything about having lost any. I didn't realize Oro had been cut. We had the, uh, the earlier panel where she was getting with uh, Moira, and it, it says there basically a sudden whirlwind of twisted metal shards is silent and without mercy. Got so it. her and Moira both got hit by that, though it looks like Storm did shield Moira from the worst of it. Okay. Um, but yeah, she did get cut up pretty bad from that. Though, you know, you don't see... I mean, it, it could look like she's dirty. I, I, I noticed and complained a little bit about this in, in his Wonder Woman run, that uh, when he's trying to sit there and show that kind of uh, damage, it makes him look more dirty than, than uh, cut up and bleeding. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that comic books always had a hard time with because they were dealing with Comic Code Authority and they could only represent so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's enough for her to say what it is. Right. I but mean, then Storm goes falling and then on the next page and somehow, even though she's falling from a great height, Peter catching her rather than her falling to the floor saves her from a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always, you know, it, it's kind of the Bugs Bunny effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, pretty cool. Though Colossus's face again, once once again, doesn't remind me of anybody uh, in that second panel. It it's it doesn't look like Colossus to me. Yeah, I see that. Whereas you know, like in previous issues, he when he was doing the X Men back then. He'd use Jethro Bodine from Beverly Hillbillies as his template for Colossus's face. Yeah, I remember you saying that, and that is spot on. It's like the light bulb went off in my head. That was exactly right. But this image right here, I, you know, there, there was some in earlier issues of Elsewhere where he looked more like Peter Parker. Yes. But this is, this is somebody else. There's almost a little bit of, of Reed Richards in the eyes, but I don't, I don't know who, who that is beyond that but again he's working on it he'd, he'd noticed that and he's been trying to figure it out he's been trying to find Colossus's face um, but a wonderful panel in that third panel where it shows all of them grouped together mm-hmm. it is and and I'm, I'm trying not to talk too much because I realize I'm talking too much but uh, Moira, of course, is, uh, gets the exposition down at the bottom and lets them know that it's the Sentinels that have come and they're much more ruthless. And they've taken everybody. And I didn't realize until this that they'd taken the Blob, Eunice, the Untouchable, and the Vanisher. Now, I mean, the Blob is one thing. He's probably the first, uh, he's the first mutant that I read outside. You know, when, when I was a kid reading the X-Men, the first X-Men story that I ever read was the Lee Kirby introduction of the Blob. 
mm-hmm. and that's what got me interested in reading the later X-Men stuff, and ultimately I started reading X-Men 132. And, um, but, uh, yeah, the Blob was the first mutant that I'd ever seen him go up against, but Unice Untouchable, I've always been really intrigued by that character and figured there's so much they could have done with that character and for some reason they never really utilized him. There's a great Marvel fanfare story where Eunice and the Blob Eunice and the Blob are like mm-hmm. best friends, best buddies, mm-hmm. you know. And um, but uh, Eunice's power is getting so strong that it's getting away from him that you know his force field is pushing everything away from him, including the oxygen he needs to breathe. I remember that one. I yeah, never I understood, though. I mean, the, the problem with Unis, the untouchable, is that's his power, that's his weakness. They make a big point at the end of that first story with him, saying, okay, you'd better reform, because we've got this machine, and we'll turn up your, your powers and really, you know, you know that we can, can, uh, can kill you with this if you ever come back. And then he comes back, and they don't use the machine. Well, I think... What happened, based on what I've been reading over the years, is that machine messed him up in the first place. And it started increasing his power without him, you know, willingly wanting it to. And that's why he went the way he did in that issue of Marvel Fanfare. That's apparently the way that they wrote it. So I think if you want to retcon it, Beast realized that he screwed things up there and didn't ever want to use it again. That would make sense. killing, Killing the guy. So, I mean, that's that's what my brain is done with that all these years. Well, I know that he comes back. Um, I think it's like issue twenty twenty one, right in there. Um, with and does something brilliant. I think Roy Thomas was writing, but there, the it's such an obvious thing. You've got the X Men with their school uniforms, you know, yellow and blue. So a villain who wants to discredit them dresses in yellow and blue and pretends that they are two more X-Men. Brilliant move to to discredit the X-Men. Why they didn't pursue that and do that more or continue that after that particular issue, I don't know. But I I just thought that was was so logical and made so much sense. Hey, if you're going to have a school uniform, you bet the villains are going to imitate you. Yeah, it's um, it's the what I call the Don Cheadle effect. Uh, Don Cheadle in uh, Ocean's uh, 13 says, yeah, but you don't do the same gag again. You move on to the next gag, mm-hmm. especially after the first one fails. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but that's, you know, that's just the way you have to write a comic book. You can't keep using the same thing over and over. Right. No matter how close to successful it was. Because, I mean, look at the Baxter building. You know, who was it? Doctor yeah, Doom tried to lift it off the first time. Okay, that didn't work. But then Kristoff does it, and it works. <clears throat> but Doom would never go back and do something that failed. Right. Anyway, moving on to our last page in this story, we see the the Greys trying to figure out where Jean is gone. Uh, not realizing that, that in the previous issue she heard their conversation, mother's uh, concerns about the X-Men not wanting to be involved with them anymore, and we see that Jean is running away. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a lot of 18-wheelers up and down the street that she's crossing. <laughs> there sure are. <laughs> or she's hitchhiking on. <clears throat> and if, if the thing is, it looks like they're all going one direction and she's hitchhiking the other. No. But then... 
Yeah, I mean, she's no. got her thumb that's out. Yeah, that's her thumb out. She's just hitching. That's all. She's she's trying to get a lift, and she's on that side of the road. She's not going the other direction. Do you not think that the first driver that saw her would stop? Yeah. Well, you want to preview next issue and let the cat out of the bag? <laughs> well, let's let's take just a moment and talk about this issue. I mean, what this issue has done for us, because this issue, I think, has given more action. Well, I can't say more action, because we got quite a bit with the Sentinels in the previous ones. But this one definitely gave us something that, that we've been wanting for years, and that's an X-Men Magneto Clash. Wolverine unleashing. Just, you know, so many things, so many different plot points being interjected page after page, and he's kept up with this idea of almost a, a page cliffhanger. Um, this right here is just all cylinders firing. I didn't see anything in here that really dragged you know dragged anything down. No, not at all. I, I think that this this battle and con and different from the Sentinel battles is, is we got the personal part of it, the personal interaction between Magneto and the X-Men. I mean, Magneto's always uh, been against the X-Men, and so this, unlike the Sentinels, which was just about uh, collecting mutants, and when we did see the Shaw and the Gyrich pages, um, there was that personal vendetta aspect there, but here it was just extremely personal and really up close, seeing Magneto and, and the X-Men battling each other. I, I think that, to me, was a little bit of a different between the Sentinel battle and made it even more interesting. Yeah, and I want to, I, I, myself, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and take a closer look at the, the Pablo story uh, the previous issue to see if there are any other hints that um, he may be looking at his mother as an enemy. Because, um, you know, until we really looked at it here, it didn't dawn on me that that's, that's a possibility. Uh, though I, I don't think that's something I'll, I'll broach on the, the Burn website. Uh, you know, I've gone in there and asked questions in the past, but I don't think that's what I'm going to ask. Yeah, I never thought that too. I thought maybe uh, Kitty just ran over there and the knives followed Kitty because he viewed Kitty as the threat. When she put her hand through there, maybe it startled him or something. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, again, I, I could be completely wrong there, but it is definitely something that, that uh, stood out. Kirk, do you have any final thoughts before we move on to issue six? Well, he's obviously teasing out um, Pablo... Not revealing exactly what the power is, but I, I don't know where this is leading. I don't know that he ever has. I've looked ahead a little bit, but I don't see where it pays off yet. So I guess that's a, a continuing plot thread that we're not supposed to know yet. This has been a great issue. I really like it. I like the fact that we've seen the Avengers, we've seen Magneto, we've seen you know the team, we've seen the Professor, we've seen Gene, we've seen so many characters. This is almost. Other than just a, a 20 page issue, this is almost like um, a long ongoing graphic novel that he has written that has just this myriad of characters that he's weaving in and out in this tapestry. And I'm loving it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. And wow, we've, yeah, I think we've taken quite a, quite a while with this. Um, here, but uh, I, I think I don't know how many we're going to get done today. We may only get two. 
But uh, you want to stop now? We, no, we've been no, going no, for no. about I, ninety minutes here. Yeah, I think I think we can go ahead and, and, and look at issue six, and then probably at that point we'll break up. Um, unless you guys have somewhere to go. Not really, but I may need to take a break here. Okay. Well, if you guys want to take a quick break now, I'll do a podcast promo, and we'll come back in a few minutes. everybody, Magnus here. In 1992, seven men disrupted the comic book industry. And it was awesome. It's hard to find a comic book publisher that launched with more anticipation, excitement, and hype than Image Comics did. Now me, I love Image Comics. So much, in fact, that beginning in March of 2020, I'm embarking upon a brand new epic mega-series. These seven men are disrupting the comic book industry. I'm taking a fond look back at a handful of early image titles. What was good? What was bad? What were some missed opportunities? Well, things couldn't have been too horrible because those comics sold millions and millions of copies. So. Join in on the fun with me and take a fond look back at the comics of yesteryear. These seven men are disrupting the comic book industry. A Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega series beginning in March of 2020. Only at twotruefreaks.com. And we're back. And, uh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm noticing here, as I look through the, the previous issues, and it, the, the new one that we're about to start on here, and that's um, issue six, the, the title uh, is, what, Island in the Sky, right? Mm-hmm. And I was looking back at the other ones, because I was sitting there, are, are all these, like, like, variations of titles of songs? Because I remember in the very first issue, it was titled In the Jungle, The Deadly Jungle, which, of course, is take off of The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Mm. And in this one here, it seems to be a takeoff. Islands in the, was it Islands in the Stream? Yeah. Is, uh, is what, what that, that made me think of. And, I, and, of course, the other ones have one-word titles like Wide Awake, Prototype. Uh, not necessarily so much a song song title, but... Um, I'm getting caught by these every now and then wondering what's if there's an intention to all of that. I don't think so. I had, it's a stretch for this one. Island in the Sky, they're talking about Asteroid M. Yeah. Um, right. Well, right. it's... Well, if you, the title of the next step issue is um, Home is Where the Hurt Is. Yeah, um, they're all take, clever. Yeah, it's a little take on variation of probably things we know well but yeah maybe an island in the stream um is a or island in the sky is a takeoff of that yeah it's cool <laughs> double meaning Interesting. For, for a lot of things yeah. mm-hmm. but now this um this first page of course is a shot of uh a space station did they say which one it is astronomy one space platform collaborative effort by humanity to create a permanent outpost in the boundaries of space and um of course, he didn't call it the International Space Station. Though I, I seem to remember um, 
in the 70s, he did another space station that looks a little similar to this. Uh, someone brought it up on one of the uh, Facebook groups. Uh, I'm not sure if it was uh, Space 1999 or Doomsday Plus One. There was a, a similar type of shot. But again, you show a satellite over the planet, um, it's going to look, uh, you know, there's going to be some similarities, I guess. Yeah. I'm thinking of that movie Gravity, which yeah. I just absolutely love. Yeah, that is, a, that is an amazing film. I, I mean, I, I like all those where someone has to science everything to, to get it. I even like The Martian a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Gravity was really awesome. And yeah, that, that definitely does evoke that kind of uh, imagery. And then on the next page, you see the people milling about in the zero-gravity parts. And, of course, her hair is affected by the zero-gravity where Sandra Bullock's was. Are we <laughs> supposed to recognize these people? I don't think so. Yeah, okay. no, it, it, when I first read that, I was wondering if that was Michael Corbo. Uh, but I wondered that, it. too. But uh. Uh, apparently not. Um Anyway, but Magneto comes up on the place and just goes right through it without giving it a second thought, destroying that and killing everybody on board. And that's so, murder he is. Do you know what BW5 means on all I of these dark spaces? I thought it was Barry Windsor Smith. No, it's BWS, Black with Stars. Oh, okay. And yeah, he's gotten that question a number of times on the website, and he's actually getting annoyed with it. Okay. Because people are asking if it's Barry Windsor Smith, and it's, it's not. It's Black with Stars. So <laughs> okay. It, it oh, I, I saw it on the third panel that it's the first time I noticed it. It's right in front of the guy's what, binoculars. Yeah. But now, as I look down the page, I realize, oh, it's all over the page elsewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and whenever you look at, at space scenes, you're going to see that. If you look on the first page, you can even see that BWS is. Oh, yeah, scene. it's there. It's, it's everywhere. It's in there. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's just mm-hmm. scribbled in, uh, and uh, it's so dark in the way he's he's shaded that. I just, I just had never seen the question asked before, so I didn't know. I was one of the few that were in the dark with stars, apparently. And whatever you do, don't ask it on the book. Oh, I won't. No, no. <laughs> well, I'm not telling you. I'm telling everybody else listening. Yeah, oh, yeah. Unless you're one of those contrarians that just has to get under people's skins and go get yeah. banned. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but that shot of Magneto as he's going away from the, 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 the wreckage of what he's left behind is wow. so powerful. And so, and yeah. you can see he even takes a moment to look back himself. Uh, but I love yeah. the helmet on his head and the shadow inside showing the darkness of uh, of his motives. You know, and this, this, this reminds me of, remember X-Men 150 in the regular continuity where he crushed that submarine. Right. Just like, oh, here's here. I'm just going to show you how powerful I am if you don't listen to me. Crunch. And I mean, again, you know, Claremont was trying to say that was direct retaliation for war. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, you know, he's trying to justify his actions there. Yeah. Still, this one right here has no justification. It was just in his way as he was trying to get to Asteroid M. So he just went yeah. right through it. Yeah. And there he is coming up on it. I always thought Asteroid M was cool. I just love the whole thing. When they first introduced that way back, what, in, was it 113, 14, 15, something like that? Mm -hmm. 
uh, I just always thought Asteroid M was the coolest thing. And when I was reading those books, I was like, oh, I want to live on Asteroid M with Magneto. Because <laughs> you know? I just thought it was great. Oh, there's Asteroid M. And then didn't the Sentinels also have an asteroid up there from Hulk Angle 7? That I don't know. You've read um, Hulk Angle 7, though, right? What is Incredible, it? Incredible Hulk Angle 7. We just covered it about, uh, I don't know, nine months ago or so on, on the show here where the the uh, Iceman, the Angel, and the Hulk got taken by the Master Mold up to the Sentinel's asteroid. i got to go look for that episode. I'm not familiar with this. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's Incredible Hulk Annual 7 and um, just a, a great slam bang story. Uh, <laughs> for for uh, any 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 fan of burn 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 pencils and um, I want to say uh, Bob Layton inks, uh, but uh, very uh, very good and yeah we covered it in uh, an episode not even just uh, nine months ago. Mm-hmm. But that was that story was from. So uh, that would be right right at the time when Byrne was in X Men, but that was a Roger Stern uh, Hulk story when Roger Stern was uh, had been writing the Hulk. But uh, I'll go look it up. Maybe I'll give some business to my local comic book shop if they're still open after this. Yeah, and you know, if, if uh, I don't know if we talked about this on air, if we talked about it before, comic book shops are are, are doing what they can to. Uh, to make make material available for us, so you know you can look on Facebook or you know you can call your comic book shop. Uh, it seems like a lot of them are closed. Some of them are running uh, odd hours where they're 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 going in to get whatever it is the people are wanting. You can't get brand new books, but there are plenty of back issues. There's plenty of uh, other items that you can get for them. And they'll prep everything for you and give you most most of them will give you curbside service. I know collected here, uh, you know basically uh, met me at the door. Uh, I cleaned my money with alcohol uh, uh, wipes, <laughs> so I guess you could say I'm, I, I laundered the money uh, <laughs> to pay for, for my haul that I got recently where uh, I picked up uh, Thor issue 148, with that's the first appearance of the record, but I also got some Silver Age Superman, Superboy, and some uh, uh, later, more modern, uh, I got one of Burns' uh, Wonder Woman issues, 135, which is a Donna Troy I went on a Donna Troy tear for some reason. I bought the Titans issues. Who is Wonder Girl and who is Donna Troy? Because I hadn't read all those yet. Anyway. I wasn't going to rub salt in the wound, but since you brought it up twice. Yeah. You know how much I paid for Thor 148? How much? 12 cents. Oh, God. (laughs) I was there. Okay, let's move on. Yes, let's move on. Okay, so uh, (laughs) our next page sees uh, Magneto coming up to the asteroid. Uh, and just coming into it, and, and of course, for me, when I'm seeing all this, and even though he's got the exposition, I can feel the bare silence of space in that 2001 Space Odyssey kind of way. Um, and I love that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you know, Magneto gets inside, and as soon as he gets within range, all the machinations go in place that fills up the air and warms it. So everything is refreshed and all that. I, I wish I could have something like that here at home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in Texas, we have to turn on the, the heater in the morning and the air conditioner at night right now. And uh, neither works fast enough for, for my taste. 
but we see that Magneto, of course, has lost too much blood, and it finally catches up with him, and he collapses. And, of course, the next page takes us somewhere else. And uh, if you had been on Burns' website, burnrobotics.com, when he was doing his pencil practice uh, thread, this is one of the pages that he showed us, but it didn't have quite as much detail uh, on there and definitely none of the, the text that he's put in there. But uh, we see the Avengers Mansion in downtown Manhattan, and we see the Scarlet Witch coming down talking to Jarvis and uh, to find out the Vision and Captain America are in sub-level 6. And then a sentinel, of course, crashing in through the walls with a huge scratch. But uh, this is just a gorgeous um, uh, page. Though I do have a comment here, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but within the past several issues, does it seem like Kitty Pride, Jean Grey, and the Scarlet Witch all have very similar features? Yes, but I don't mind it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind it, but I'd always been able to differentiate them. You know, Kitty Pride always had more of a Sigourney Weaver look because that's who the model was for Kitty mm-hmm. Pride. Uh, Jean's look, of course, was when she was, you know, I, the only Jean that I really knew as a kid was Jean in the Phoenix era. So I didn't know the, the Jean before that that well uh, or the, you know, the, the, the variations on Jean that we saw afterwards to really reconcile the look that Byrne had given her. That look, and I don't know if it's the look that he chose, it always reminded me of Stephanie Zimbalist Jr. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then the Scarlet anyway. Witch had her own own appearance, so her hair was a much more darker scarlet than, you know, the the bright red that, that he had Jean as Phoenix. Yeah. And then Kitty's hair, of course, is more brownish, but without the color being added to it, um, all three are appearing very similar to me yeah kind of speak, speaking of brunette and redhead yeah i've got a side tangent for you that becomes a plot point in fact in x-men number 59 uh the uh end of the second uh sentinel arc i don't know yes. if you're familiar with it but yep as a kid as i was reading i it registered i went oh they've done a printing color error and then about one or two pages later i'm like Oh, no, they oh. didn't. They suckered me. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. And they tried to sucker the Sentinels. Uh, very well. I, it was. A, it's a fond memory. Yes. But let's, let's get back to this. Yeah. And, of course, you know, Byrne has a tendency to dress Scarlet Witch much more buxom than much of any of the other uh, characters. I think only Frankie Ray uh, was drawn even more buxom. But uh, that's uh, just uh, something you notice in that bottom panel there. But uh, you guys have right. any comments on this page here? Or this is one where the uh, the actual cliffhanger takes us to the next page, and we don't have to wait for more pages. Uh, a question me, on that 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 page where the Sentinel's coming through that panel in the bottom right with a scratch. Yeah. I see his head. I see his shoulders. I see his chest. I see his right hand. Is that his arm behind the word scratch all the way down to the bottom of the page? Yes. Or is that his leg? Uh, it looks to me like his arm. Yeah, it looks okay. like his arm to me also. Okay. 
busting through the the ceiling there or something, and he's still on the the rest of his body's on the outside of the wall. It looks like, and then that that looks to me like an arm. Yeah. Now, all right. Closer to the Scarlet Witch's left hand, is that a TV or is that artwork? Uh, it looks like artwork to me. Okay. Yeah, I I love this page. Scarlet Witch is one of my favorite characters. Scarlet Witch, Lorna, Dane, Polaris, and um, Jean of the mutant crew. They're my favorite trio of female mutants, and I just love seeing the Scarlet Witch here. I wish she would have been able to do more action with her, or I wish he would do uh, an Avengers Elsewhere, <laughs> taking up from like Avengers 188 or something right after the Yesterday quest and then continuing on. It would be really cool because uh, I just love the way that he brings the Scarlet Witch into such a visual wonder, the way her cape flows and he does her hair right and her little her headdress just fits on there perfectly. So I, I really like his handling of her. Yeah, he's got a passion for that character. If there's anything that, that, that's obvious over the years, he definitely does. That doesn't mean that he doesn't treat her like horror. horrible, horrible, horrible. <laughs> you know, just the horrible things that, that, that Byrne has done to Scarlet Witch or others and Byrne have done to Scarlet Witch over the years. Just, ugh. I know. <laughs> yeah. One of my uh, favorite books is the uh, Avengers West Coast 56. I think that's called Darker Than Scarlet. Yeah. And it's followed up with Family Reunion, where quite literally they turn and walk out on the reader, and Byrne turns and walks out on the series. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love her, and I would have loved to have seen where he was going to take her. Yeah, that, and it, again, it's, it's one of those horrible things where all the stuff in the background prevent us from being able to enjoy what he's building up going to the next page though um, and we see that there's more than one sentinel here he actually had to edit this uh, after he initially published it because it, it wasn't clear in the text but you see that multiple sentinels are actually coming in and her hex takes out one of them now this this page has got some really interesting aspects to his art as far as her face goes because like the second panel is that's the scarlet witch that i know that's the scarlet witch that that fully realized to me as far as her face goes mm-hmm. but the first panel her face kind of comes off flat doesn't it yes, it, it does. does and then the um the third panel almost reminds me of an alex ross bit of work yes but I think that's got a lot to do with the shading around her eyes and from her mouth. But uh, definitely, yeah, it's got some Alex there. And here comes the vision through the floor. Mm-hmm. And just the the look at the Sentinel's eyes. That always creeps me out when they show the Sentinel's eyes. Or when he shows the Sentinel's eyes. <laughs> it is interesting that there's just these little pupils. It's really, you know, these little dots of light. It's... It's a great effect, and yeah, it is kind of very kind of creepy and strange. <laughs> but it's great. I, I really like it because uh, it, it, even though they're not organic or they're not people, it puts some sort of um, some thought into it, and it just lets us know that there's something going on behind there. I like it. Yeah. They also reiterate on this page that the Sentinels have no qualms about killing people. 
mm-hmm. outside of mutants. Um, and then, of course, it's turning. It, one of the sentinels is turning its attention to the vision, uh, and was able to actually do something to him to cause him the equivalent of pain. Says in an instant, every inch of the vision circuitry seems suddenly ablaze. Yeah. As he too staggers and falls, a nearby elevator hisses open, and Captain America comes out in all of his glory. But what could Captain America do in this situation? Uh, yeah, throw a shield. <laughs> yeah, but the well, they're obviously they're obviously prepared for each one of their adversaries. The Sentinels were ready for the Vision. They were ready for Wanda. They, were, they are prepped. That should be a plot point and lead the heroes to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So this is a well-prepared force. Yeah, now I love this, the, the middle panel here. and it, It's hard to believe this page only has three panels on it because of just everything that's in there. Um, that metal panel's got so much detail. Cap coming in, the, the the jet exhaust from the Sentinels that's trying to take off with with Wanda, and the vision as he is uh, you know, basically trying to recover from the Sentinels' attack. What? Hey, Kirk, I just realized. I think what you were driving at by the how prepared they were for the Avengers. Are you are you indicating that? They had in inside intel from Gyrich. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Because yeah. this was right after Gyrich kind of started leading the government liaison aspect of it to the Avengers. Right. He he would actually still be the Avengers liaison at this point uh, instead of Sikorsky. Mm-hmm. Now, you look at the bottom panel, and it took me a couple times looking at that to realize Captain America is actually running out the front door of the mansion. Oh, yeah. There yeah, he down is. There, down there on the left. And then, of course, you've got traffic and everything over on the right. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. and then, but there, there is a little bit of, uh, I don't want to call it discontinuity. It's not that, but, you know, the... It's hard to gauge just how many sentinels were involved in this because obviously two sentinels are leaving there, but another one is left behind. The one that that, that Wanda toppled with her power. So it hmm. looks like at least three sentinels were there in the Avengers Mansion. I don't get uh, a third body anywhere. I'm skimming ahead in this issue. I don't see any place where they go, oh, now we can work on one. I think it, both of them got up, up later, and left. In later issues, they've got one they're taking apart. Okay. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a third one there. Um, then, of course, on the next page, we see and the, the Sentinel vehicle, which I don't think I've ever seen one that looks like that before. I've seen, like, the Stratojet, like the ones that the, the X-Men now have appropriated and use. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is really, I mean, the my page looks like it's its handled a little different in the way it was reproduced. Because this looks like it's almost a non-repro blue. It could be my monitor, the way it's um, displaying the page. But uh, still, the pencils look different. 
Um, but I love the look on the Vision's face in that third panel. Yeah, very worried. And then he goes through Captain America as he's leaving. But mm-hmm. um, it, the, 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 the handling of the Vision in this series also had me <clears throat> questioning how the Vision's power works. Because, you know, even though Hotman was never able to describe how he flies other than, you know, he just makes himself lighter than air. But that wouldn't propel you at all. Uh-huh. It doesn't say how he propels himself. But also, is the vision able to pick up anything else or move anything else or make something else phase with him when he goes intangible? Or is he only able to do that with himself? I know in a Steve Englehart book, he was able to encase something in his cape and therefore able to phase it with him. But I hadn't seen any other instance of that and that's just a question for for later something you and the listeners can uh chew on and see if you've got other examples mm-hmm. i can't i don't recall i always thought he was just phasing and uh power his power gem and he always seemed to be able to float and fly somehow <laughs> you're right but the question is how fast can you go it looks like he can go fast but still the sentinels did get away as they apparently have some sort of cloaking device they turned on as soon as they got into their vehicle yeah and uh cap checking on jarvis and referring to him as edwin i like that little touch yeah okay so moving on to the next page a beautiful captain america poses he's looking up you know from the rubble and saying, okay, well, you know, you, normally we just let the X-Men handle this stuff, but since it came after us, we're going to be a part of it. We're going to make them regret it. And he calls Charles, which is a very nice Neil Adamsy type shot mm-hmm. uh, in the middle yeah. of the next page. And then just the Avengers standing there in front of the monitor. That, that right there, this looks like this should be the ad for the, uh, for the series. Oh, yeah. Like, like a house ad? <laughs> yeah, a, house, a nice house ad. Uh, I mean, it's got the Avengers there, Professor Xavier, Burn Tech. It's just yeah. a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous shot. I love that. And th- this totally looks like a, also like an example that they would have used in that old book that came out in the 70s called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could almost see an unlettered page in the Marvel Age uh, magazine. Yeah. Very cool. Next page takes us back to Muir Island. Back to Muir. There's that establishing shot. Yeah, and the uh, X-Men talking to Charles over the vid phone. Um, Cyclops looking a little odd there on that image. So that is that is very evocative of Kirby's version of Cyclops to me. Yeah, that's definitely an older uh, an older look of the visor. And then the Blackbird taking off, taking them back to Westchester. I got a question yeah. at, the t- at the top of this page. Uh, the set, uh, the cover shot showing that we're at Murr Island. Earlier you said that Byrne had a model. Were you saying that he's got a model sheet that he's working from? Or are you saying he's got a physical plastic model of Murr Island that he's, he's got created? Model sheets. Model sheets and okay. he's got com- computer models 
of items like that, I'm sure he's been using some form of CAD program to uh, to make that, to make the the jets, the Stratajets, the Blackbird, uh, you know, anything that 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 is pure straight line, um, almost engineering draftsman type work. Because you look at the the detail of the the Blackbird as it takes off, and it, I mean it is, you know, pure symmetry. Um, you know, and never any uh, doubt that that's you know machinery. Uh, not every artist is as you know precise in doing that. You've seen a lot of other guys that that take a lot of dramatic license when they're drawing planes and other things, so that there's no continuity on them. The, the size and shape of them are always changing, regardless. You know, with this with the perspective. But when Byrne does these, no matter what angle you're looking at, the uh, relative size is always correct. Um, it, but he's also able to maintain that, you know, even when he's drawing something circular like cap shield, you know, distance and perspective, he's always been consistent on that. Other artists can't do that. Rob Liefeld's a good example. Guy can draw faces, but that's really just what his forte is. It's not uh, machinery and such like this. Speaking of faces, wait till we get to the FF next page. Well, let's take a look. Oh, gosh. Baxter building. <laughs> Just love the Baxter building. Of course, Johnny flying through the, the flaming hoops of jello. Uh, <clears throat> that, that's, I'm sorry, that's one of my old things. When I'm hit with a daunting task of a bunch of things I have to do, I always refer to it as jumping through flaming hoops of jello. So. <laughs> and uh, little Franklin Richards. Who doesn't look as so much like uh, like he does in a lot of Burns' other stuff? He's definitely refined his uh, children's look, though. Still, there's always something a little odd about it. But uh, that's a great shot of Franklin with the big smile on his face there in the third panel. It really is a very nice, nice shot. And Sentinel got in. Now this, of course, alludes to what you're talking about with Jairus there, Kirk, and that the Sentinel was able to break in, and there was no alarm before that. The Baxter Building, you figure, would have been able, would have triggered all sorts of alarms with the approach of the Sentinels. Yeah, and the fact that they knew kind of where it was. I mean, I wouldn't think that the danger room would be on on an outside facing wall of the Baxter Building. You know. <laughs> Uh, there are numerous, uh, and you can find them out on, on the web, but there are numerous uh, uh, cutaway shots of the Baxter building, and unfortunately their exercise, practice, danger room sort t- type place is placed uh, against one of the sides. Oh, is it? Okay. Doesn't... Yeah, and that, that, that's just an artist's choice to make it easier to make those cutaways you know, more you know, obvious. But, uh, yeah... Golly, that bottom frame, though. We see three sentinels, rubble. Johnny's arm looks a little distended, but that's okay. That's pretty cool. And then flame on, and there's classic Johnny as the human torch. One of the things that I like about what John Byrne is doing as far as the characters, the Asian part of it, is how he's keeping the voice of the era so like frank franklin calling him anka johnny mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in the previous is- issue where wolverine referred to storm as roro 
that was his thing. He never called her Ororo or Storm. He always had that like little nickname for her. And I thought that was a nice way to kind of keep the the flow of, of that era through the books was just by the dialogue and the characterizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Sentinel squirts out some form of goo on Johnny uh, from its palm. Now, do As, you think that these Sentinels were specially set with that since they knew they were going up against the Fantastic Four? Yep. Where yeah. the Sentinels have some kind of ray, beam, flame, something else coming out of uh, that spot. Um, but yeah, snuffs out this flame, and they go after uh, Franklin. And uh, then the greatest image shot... Of, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, that image of the human torch is really amazing in that first panel. That's a great, great image. And as Andy Leyland and... and, and Steve would say it's asbestos uh, that he got thrown all over. His asbestos spooge. (laughs) 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 Whatever. (laughs) Now, I really love this shot of the thing. Yeah. At the bottom. I mean, that is just beautiful. Now, there were some people that were complaining about the sound effect, the thumb being across his arm there. Oh, yeah. Because it's definitely him opening a door and entering a room and, you know, hey, what's all the ruckus up here? Can't a guy watch Jeopardy and, what, the blue blazes? Which you you can just hear Ben Grimm's voice every time. Now, I I don't necessarily hear it as Michael Chiklis. Uh, I I think I hear the voice I heard from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Ah, okay. Yeah, you know, for the placement of the thong, you think that for all the times that he was upset that his artwork got covered up by word balloons and stuff and the other stuff that why would he place a sound effect over the thing's arm which is such a beautiful shot of the thing it just really takes away from that that shot maybe there was a better place it could have been been placed or I don't know but I mean the, the thing is he's made the thing so big within that frame that it's hard to find a place to put that in because he's got his word balloons carefully placed. Yeah. And the only thing that he could have done was try to cut down the, the, the dialogue over to the right so he could put thumb up there on the left. But I uh, think you'd be thinking that it's almost like him yelling thumb yeah. rather than yeah. a sound effect. Or he might have even placed it behind his arm and, and a little bit bigger. We would have got the, we would have still got the idea. And all the sound effects look like they are the top level of art, all the way through this. Like they're the last thing that has been added throughout yeah. yep. every one of these scenes. I see that. Yeah. That is, yeah, that definitely. So we move on to the next. Page. And this one left me a little wondering what, what actually, are they just blowing a hole out the wall? There's no motion lines on it, but you see the Kirby crackle and everything and the big boom. I think that's blowing the thing out because in the next panel you see they're on the ground level. That's true, but you would expect, I, I would have expected motion lines to show that the thing had flown mm-hmm. out through there with the energy. But that, again, that was just kind of a... I, th- I think yeah. it's kind of a miss, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I took it that, that Ben had leapt out the hole in the wall. I didn't see him as being on the on the ground. 
uh, although I see that now, I thought he he had launched himself after the flying sentinel and grabbed him by the boot, and then he gets kind of brushed off. Yeah. Oh, he gets he gets hit with the prisoner ball. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, you're right. It could be that he's still on that floor because, and then these other, the perspective is just showing the other buildings are taller than the Baxter building because Baxter building was built, what, in the 20s? So it's really shorter compared to a lot of the other skyscrapers. So, um, yeah, so maybe the first panel was just them blasting another escape hole or something and into can the, thing, the. Can the thing leap really, really far? I mean, no. I, I never thought of him as having leaping ability like the Hulk. Um, I don't think it's like the Hulk, but yeah, I think he can propel himself. I think we've seen examples of that. And but what, what it shows is, you know, he gets hit with that 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 ball that encompasses him, and then falls to the ground and breaks with that lovely spack sound. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the same <laughs> one he used to kill and hammer an anvil with. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so we see the thing unconscious down below and elsewhere. Oh. This is a uh, the, the, the Jean Grey subplot where Jean, who's got the intellectual capacity of a five-year-old, has gotten into a truck with a um, unsavory sort. Yeah, and not a near to an unsavory bar full of unsavory people. And he's just a local guy because it's not one of the semis that we the million semis we saw in the last issue. But can anybody make out what's on the side of that truck where it says? I just can't can't make it out. I don't know if it's supposed to be able to be made out, but uh, it's fries or Fred's. Fred's, except frogs. he refers to himself as Dougie. Maybe it's frogs. I don't know. Dougie's <laughs> recycle. Yeah. Fries? No, fries recycling. Because the second word is definitely recycling underneath. Okay. Well, yeah. But uh, he takes her into the bar. And um, it says there her first instinct is to run, but it's too late for that as he's shut the door behind her. And that look on her face is a, whoa-oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not good. And, you, oh, cliffhanger. Do you recognize Dougie's face in the upper right? I'm going no. for something here, specifically. Yeah, I I've think been, it's... I've been, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. You and no, I, tell I me really what, have no idea who who that that looks like. I mean, actually, you you remember when they made up what's his name to look like um, Mark Twain on Star Trek: The Next Generation? Yeah, it does remind me a little bit of him, but just a little bit around the eyes. I was thinking that Byrne has exaggerated his own face, which is possible because we we've seen him do that uh, a number of times throughout the years. Ooh. All right, next page. Yeah. <laughs> the X-Men in the Blackbird. Man, that's a lot of burn tech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do they all fit in there? And again, Wolverine is, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I definitely want a, 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 a seat on the next plane I fly with that much leg room. Right. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. Colossus and Wolverine able to, to lay out and stretch out. That's that's the way I sit in my seats. I don't, I don't you know, sit upright in the OSHA way because it cuts off my circulation. <laughs> But uh, the X-Men get back to the X-Mansion, and we get time just to see them all standing there in costume. And um, they, uh, of course, need to go to... They now find out they have to go to space. 
and they get those wonderful uh, things from Reed Richards, the wristbands that provides them the protection of a full spacesuit. Which I'd, I'd like to have one of those. Pretty, pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah, and it even fits Wolverine's mask. He even makes mention that it fits his mask with all pointing parts and all. <laughs> yeah. So I guess Storm's hair is protected too, huh? Because you know, space, it gets dry out there. I mean, that's with zero gravity. Going to the next page, uh, the X-Men are, you know, get into the Stratojet, which they got from the Sentinels, and take off for orbit. Mm-hmm. get a nice little you know the the you know wolverine saying he doesn't like going to space but colossus being almost poetic in his dis- description of it and that's and, a pretty fast launch if it's going to only take them 10 minutes to uh get into outer space into the asteroid m yeah trask apparently was able to design some pretty good craft or did the sentinels design it themselves i don't know yeah. The Sentinels decided that would be that would make more sense. Yeah. So our next page takes us to the Shi'ar. And um, many questioning what is or several questioning what Lalandra is doing with the for lack of better words, Phoenix Force. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I had the essence of the most powerful, dangerous thing there is I wouldn't label the door with its logo. I, I'd you know, put like trash or yeah. you know, a room full of deadly organisms that you don't want to get on you. Stay away. You know, like that. put a biohazard logo on there to keep people away from it. But uh, the last thing I'm going to do is put the, the Phoenix logo on there. Now, this is some sort of like, is it a star base? It it's, looks like it's it's just some sort of star base, almost like Asteroid M itself, built into kind of, the, yeah. built into the rock. It certainly does. Yeah, you I know. thought it was Asteroid M at first glance too. Yeah, and then of course you see yeah the the Shire in there, uh, and then we go to the next page and we see that Lalandra is standing beside some very large device that looks like something that you'd see holding Sargon in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Or um, the the Kryptonian uh, matrix that held Kal-El in the Man of Steel, mm-hmm. very similar to that. But it's or, or V'ger for, for that matter. Uh, it, it's got a lot of similarities to all that. And I don't know if it was them distracting Lalandra, or just that was the moment that it decided the Phoenix Force decided to, for lack of a better words, take her. But I love that negative image of Landry down at the bottom. Is it? Yeah, it's nice. Now, the the the, the point where she says I must, and then it breaks off with a bunch of A's. Is there something behind that, or is that just part of the architecture? No, I don't think there's anything up by behind the, it. By the letters. I think it's just architecture okay. design. Okay. Now. Yeah. You know, I mean, looking at this from just the the point of the the artwork, there's an elegance about it, especially in that that large panel of, of, of you know the, that that thing that apparently is housing the Phoenix Force. Mm-hmm. But like an egg. I, I know, but you figured you'd be seeing something else in that 
in that egg, like the, the power pulsating or or whatever. Maybe some of our wonderful colorists will create that that imagery for us. Yeah, there's been a lot of really good efforts mm. out there that have been coming out on the Facebook groups and even shortly on Burns website. Um, yeah. Now the next page takes us back to uh, the X-Men approaching Asteroid M, decelerating, and apparently they get out without any trouble. Mm-hmm. And Cyclops, uh, just not wasting any time, blows one of the doors in so he, they can get in there and find Magneto. And yep. as they get in, all of a sudden, the asteroid turns against them with uh, guns firing and Colossus jumping in the way before it takes out Storm or or hits Wolverine. There's a beautiful, I, like- well, I mean, the blood trail has almost got a, a, uh, a Kirby-esque look to it. Yeah. And uh, I like how Wolverine was so focused on the blood that his other instincts... Um, didn't kick in to catch that laser trigger that he tripped. Yeah. So all of a sudden, of course, blows it away, and Wolverine is taking that time while they're focusing on that to go his own way because he wants to make sure to finish Magneto off if he gets a chance. Yeah, he's he's focused. Yeah, but he comes across him, and uh, Magneto says, you know, the metal in your body makes you vulnerable to my power. And Wolverine's like, well, where is it? You got the drop on me. You could have turned me inside out. And Magneto says that he's right, that he's too weak from the loss of blood, but he can do something else. And there's just a gesture. And then the entire base slowly falls apart. In just one shot, you see the base just separating as Magneto basically breaks the magnetic bonds of the entire asteroid. And that right there is the last page of our story. Yeah. That seems... breaks up in utter silence. That's beautiful. It seems strange. Like, if he could do that to the asteroid, why couldn't he just strip the adamantium out of Wolverine's body? <laughs> this right here was a conscious another. effort to shut something off rather than use his power forcefully because you're using what are you saying he was too weak to use his power forcefully okay and this is basically just like turning off a light switch okay yeah it's 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 gonna be a beautiful shot when it's fully inked and colored though because that's that's a really impressive final page well, you know, that was the thing I was noticing. You know, like the, the, the bits of the asteroid is it's all falling apart. All the tech and everything that's separating everything is beautiful. The stratajet there in that, like, landing area. And then you've got the rocky place beneath it that looks scribbled. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. I, could, I would scribble. I can even see a little horsey in there. Uh, <laughs> that's weird. That's kind of disturbing. One of my other hobbies is uh, model rocketry. We have an expression for what you're seeing on this page. When you build a model rocket, it's usually from a kit. And so you glue it together and piece it together. But when it explodes uncontrollably and shatters in a million pieces, we uh, sarcastically call that re-kitting the model (laughs) or re-kitting the rocket. 
I, I remember when I would go skiing and, uh, you know, any one of us might fall. And as you're falling down in the snow and everything, you know, you might lose your goggles, your gloves, you know, your poles, whatever. And they mm-hmm. would call you yard sale. <laughs> and that's, that's what it makes me think of. Uh, and invariably, one person on the trip would be nicknamed yard sale because they kept doing it. Uh, be that as it may, that was the end of this issue. And um, again, you know, just a, a fully packed issue with so many different things going on. Uh, you know, the the initial uh, incident with the, the the satellite in space and Magneto going through it, the Avengers Mansion, um, the Fantastic Four at the Baxter Building, Jean Grey with her little, little scuffle, and the X Men going up to the to Asteroid M. And all that, and even more on the Phoenix storyline. And all this in, in, what is this, 22 pages. And this issue went by so quick for me. I was just like, wait, that's it? That's it? That's all? Mm-hmm. But uh, again, he's packed so much into this, and, and there's more to come. But I, I, I mean, what, what, do you, what did you guys think of this issue just you know, on its own? It's a lot just gorgeous but there's an awful lot of uh, destruction um constant destruction as the sentinels come through the wall again and again and again which is a repeating theme i i understand that because you're you're supposed to catch that beat but also how many times have we seen asteroid m be destroyed or fall apart um you know, that's just one thing that has registered with me i love this issue i love the artwork it's just a wonderful story um can't wait for the next one. Well, and hopefully we can we can get together much sooner to, to go over the next one. But uh, I think that that right here is where we're going to have to stop for today. Yeah. Because uh, we've been on here for for nearly four hours and um, well, not quite, but uh, still over three hours. And we want to give everybody a little bit of a break. But yep. uh, we also would like to know what you, as listeners, think of all this. Um, again, you know, we're, we're reading stuff that nobody's having to pay for. Burn has made this fully available on his website, and it's also available within the Facebook groups where you can download the CBRs to read them uh, as full issues. He's currently putting out issue 10, and we should be getting a new page tomorrow. And issue, issue 10 so far has definitely not disappointed. It has uh, not. And, I mean, the storyline, of course, is a culmination of a lot of what we've been reading here uh, while continuing other plot points along. And as a master storyteller, he has definitely demonstrated that, you know, he's got those skills and he's using them to his fullest ability right now. This is a guy that's going to be turning 70 this year. Wow. And I... he is just kicking ass. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> he, he's doing a great I'm just loving this work and I'm so appreciative that he's putting it out and, and continuing his ideas for the stories and how he's taking it in these different directions and stuff and he posted something not long ago that said that this is that he wasn't rec- trying to recreate what would have happened had he stayed on the book he's just going in a whatever whatever ideas are coming up to him and, and this is really cool he described it as OCD on, <laughs> on on that, and he said basically that that out of all the things that he has done over the years, 
and you know he for one reason or another left books uh, probably before his time Fantastic Four you could say he probably had said everything he wanted to say about the Fantastic Four uh, but in virtually every other thing except for maybe Wonder Woman he didn't get to complete what he intended maybe Namor he probably said everything he wanted to say we know Alpha Flight he said everything he could possibly say um, but this is the only one that, that he felt like there's still something left to tell. There's still stories left to do, stories still within him that he needs to get out, that his hand has to put down on the, on the, on the page. Is there any way that we could inspire him to get that kind of OCD to go back to the Avengers or even over to the, the other guys, to Justice League or or something else. I don't know, but he doesn't have that OCD for any of that like he had for this or for Star Trek, the original series. Well, I'm glad he did because I'm, I'm enjoying it. Well, Kirk, you have any uh, final thoughts, final words? Well, I think we've covered quite a bit of ground here. This is just fantastic, and I really appreciate your providing the link, allowing me to see this. I really want to urge Byrne to cooperate with Marvel and actually publish this so that it's full-colored and it's in individual issues, and I know he's not listening to me, so... <laughs> <laughs> but you know... Just that, uh, gorgeous. There's a guy out there, and I want to say his name is Jeff Tolbert, is that right? Who has he, been... Uh, now, he's on the Burn Victims fan group in uh, Facebook, and he has been coloring uh, many of the pages... And I wish he would just go in order and start from the beginning and <laughs> and do them. But he is putting a lot of stuff out there. Um, Between him and Paul, they 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 seem to be the Paul DeBella, very yeah. prolific and uh, and doing them in whatever order they feel like. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, but you know the thing is, is that is that uh, one of them, and I'm not sure if, if if both of them are doing it now. Scott Barnett's been doing the inks on the one Paul DeBet has been putting out. Uh, and he's doing a really, really good job on the inks. They remind me a little bit of uh, Scott Farmer from the X, the sorry, Justice League Classified uh, story. But um, the that they're using an app, I think, on their phone to do the coloring. Wow! And now that sometimes the the color palette that they have isn't providing enough variation for them to get everything the way that, that you would like to see it. The, the purple on the Sentinels looks a little funny, but uh, some of the more mundane scenes have come out really, really good. On top of that, Jeff Tolbert is apparently doing something, uh, a continuation of after Alpha Flight after Burn. So basically starting with issue 29, there, uh, he's telling a story out there. Uh, so you can actually find that in Burns Fan Fiction page, the script for that, and some of the art he's put on the Facebook group in Burn Victims. So, uh, you know, if you can, take a look. And like I said before, uh, on the Burn Victims uh, Facebook group, if you go into the Files section, they've got the CBR, that is the collected issues of every one of the X-Men elsewhere. They've also got some of the other stuff like Hidden Years, uh, a few little bits and pieces and some other things. But all the X-Men elsewhere that's been published up to now, issue 9 um, on Burns' website, have been collected in CBR and PDF. So you can download either one of those formats in that way if you want to put it on your tablet and read it at your leisure without having to be on the internet. You can. 
Yeah. All right, and uh, oh, Alpha Flight 29 Final. So they've got the whole collected um, version of that if you wanted to, to read it. So that's um, something to look at. Now, that's not written or drawn by Burns. It's a continuation of what Burns did, but done... Oh, this is just a script of it. The artwork he's been presenting on the actual page itself rather than uh, there. So that's just the, the script for it. So... Uh, Anyway, yeah. a lot to take a look at. Now, we want to know what you think about what we've been talking about. We really want to hear from you. So please, if you could, write to us at our Gmail account. It's gotta get burned. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook. We have a, a Facebook group there, Third Degree Burn. Uh, if you found us through Facebook, you know, the, the various posts that I put in all the different John Byrne Facebook groups, the Two True Freaks Cantina, or even the Marvel Comics main thread. Uh, you know, you can find us, you can respond to any one of those there. If we do see something that's been responded to, uh, we'll try to read it on air. And if you write to us, we'll try to read it on air. If you email any of us directly, we'll try to read it on air. Just don't send us anything that we can't look at at work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh Anyway, do you guys have anything else you want to say? No, just uh, enjoying enjoying it, the ride here. This is a lot of fun. Yes, and we will be getting back to regular issues sometime soon. I really kind of want to hold off until Tim uh, gets you know gets back into podcasting mode. Uh, but we'll just uh, take that by ear. We may be doing a couple more of these just so we can uh, get through the rest of the published issues so far. Um, I'm really enjoying it, and I know that it's uh, helping us to wall away the time while we're stuck here at home during the coronavirus lockdown. Uh, and though uh, our government or others may be saying that we should be going out soon, I'm going to wait till much later before I go out. I can get much everything I need online. Please be safe. Please uh, be careful, and you know, look out for yourself and others in these troubled times. Thanks for inviting me. This has been very enjoyable. Let's do it again. Anytime. Absolutely, Kirk. I think that we'll, we'll, we'll try and bring you back for the, the next couple issues here. I'd like and, that. Uh, we'll figure it all out. So, for John Hyatt and Kirk Greenfield, my name is Brian Hughes, and this has been Third Degree Burn. Thank you. Say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and it's part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. All right, I'll be mayor.